It's Tuesday, February 15th, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam, this is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! talk about you know the finer things in life <laughs> check it out who that dress so scandalous and you know another nigga couldn't handle it so you're shaking that thing like who's the ish with the look in your eyes so devilish uh, you like to dance on the hip-hop spots and you cruise to the cruise like a neck to dots not just urban she liked the pop because she was living la vida loca she had dumps like a truck 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 thighs like what what baby move your butt butt Sing it again, she had dumps like a truck, 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 thighs like what, 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 all night long, let me see that thong, baby, that thong, 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 I like it when the beat go, baby, make it go, This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Mm. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. You can find them at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom Kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on- and off-duty gear, Kydex thongs, custom orders. Like Use it. the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. Guys, you just can't take a good night's sleep for granted. Mike Lindell, the humblest of pillow farmers, delivering thousands of pillows to Truckapalooza over the weekend, is having some of the biggest sales ever at My Pillows. The original pillows down to the origin prices of My Pillows. We also have got my slippers, 50% off. Giza Dream Sheets and all things Giza related up to 60% off. I just got mine. They are legit. They are. When you enter promo code STEAK at checkout or uh, jump on the website, mypillow.com forward slash steak, or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative at 1-800-658-8045. Of course, you can find the top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, Letting me see that thong, etc. Uh, do it in style with the best damn headphones around. They're at odyssey.com. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's got a five-star rating. If you like tradesies, he's a licensed FFL. Easy to use, newly redesigned website at westcoastsurvivalarms.com. Get him Facebook Messenger answers back pretty quick. And uh, via the telephone, 619-870-6992. First responders, we back the blue and love them, and they're working hard. They're usually wearing mediocre medic, flip-flops, fanny packs, sweatshirts, t-shirts, and more for off-duty, stickers and patches while they're on, mediocremedic.com and their fire IG, and last but certainly not least, the uh, gold standard of tactical flair, Dumpbox, home of the zero fuck stuck. You don't know? Go ask Mark. You can find them on Instagram and at dumpbox.us. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, the website, our telegram, and more. For all of our friends listening today from uh, the Twitterverse, Instagram, and Discord, 
Welcome. Tuesday edition, Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 108. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's joined us. Hello. We've got a lot of great news to break down, some great guests, and we're going to start off by bringing in our first one today as his audio is loading. Mr. Darren Beatty will be joining us here in just a second. All right, joining us first today on this Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast, he's one of our favorite journalists, the man behind Revolver News, former White House official, Mr. Darren J. Beatty. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure, sir. How's everything going on your end? Going pretty well. Just uh, enjoying another day of revolving, as it were. <laughs> nice. Always revolving. <laughs> um, there's a couple of reasons why we invited you on the show. Obviously, we're, we're huge fans of your work and all the stuff you've done. Not to fanboy it, but I mean, you're, you're doing a lot of the dirty work that uh, the legacy media has, has constantly refused to even look at. Uh, I'm going to go back towards some of the earlier stuff and then take it up to some of the stuff you've been working on more recently, and then you can give mm-hmm. us an update on anything else you're working on. Some, yeah. of the, some of the stuff you did regarding January 6th, uh, just the whole expose factor of it has been pretty groundbreaking and, and, and definitely has cemented the counter narrative uh, to what the January 6th committee has going on. Now, we've had so many people who are under, you know, scrutiny uh, on our show, probably a lot of your friends, you know, Raheem and uh, Cash Patel, Peter Navarro, et cetera, Amanda Milius, you know, you name it. And, and they've been subpoenaed or uh, questioned by Nancy Pelosi. Um what really directed you towards seeing such a blatant, okay, what they're telling you everywhere is not really what happened, and these are some of the things we really need to look at when you started to uncover this stuff regarding January 6th? Well, that's a good question, and luckily we have a very powerful and discerning research team, and we noticed just a glaring discrepancy quite early on when the first Oath Keepers indictments came out. And um, in those documents, looking at the charging documents, it was quite clear that there was a kind of um, weird reverse RICO structure whereby a lot of these little fish were being charged and there were a lot of persons referenced throughout the documents and with various descriptors who by all accounts seem to play more senior roles in the respective militias and take a more active involvement or at least as much involvement as some of the other people charged. And so this on its face is a kind of selective prosecution, selective non-prosecution. And so that was really the story, the the first story. And we combined that with this Michigan case. And we were the first people to cover the Michigan case in light of January 6th. There was one other media outlet called Jacobin, which is sort of a leftist type outlet, which covered the Michigan case fairly well, although not terribly extensively, but covered it in a in a vacuum, self-contained, conveniently self-contained. We looked at the Michigan case and added to that coverage, discovered that the Detroit FBI special agent in charge, Stephen D'Antuono, right after that very obvious infiltration operation, the day after these people were arrested, 
who turned out to be now we know it's 12 out of 26 were feds or or agents of some sort and they have their own bizarre stories that you wouldn't believe it's just you know confederacy of dunces <laughs> but after they were charged after they were arrested steven d'antuono was promoted by fbi director ray to run dc field office and to oversee the January 6th investigations. So this was an additional um, coincidence that we found. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I think it's just a necessity in the media as people take kind of the headlines and people have their own heuristics that kind of simplify the nature of the argument. For instance, a lot of people, and I don't blame them. I mean, it's these pieces are very long. They have a, a lot of detail in them. Right. Um, and the argument is are in some places somewhat complicated. And so, um, you know, I can I see how people would think, oh, the argument is just they said Michigan was an infiltration operation. Therefore, logically, this other one must be. That was never an argument. We were simply to say, look, without giving you the entire history of the FBI's operations going back decades, how about taking an operation that occurred just months before January 6th that involved one of the three main militia groups imputed to 1-6, whose special agent in charge who ran the infiltration operation was immediately promoted to the D.C. field office to oversee the January 6th investigations, it involved the same plot. People call it the Michigan kidnapping plot, but it was actually also a plot to storm the Michigan state capitol. Yep. There are all of these parallels just months before involving the same people on the FBI side and involving the same militia groups on the so-called insurrectionist side. And so for someone, and that's just to prime people to say, look, open your mind to the possibility to the specific arguments we're about to make referencing specifics of the charging documents on 1-6, open your mind to it in case you're one of the types who said, our country isn't like that. Our people would never do that. Well, they just did it months before with all of these striking parallels. That was the point of it. It was never to say, oh, Michigan was an op, therefore this must be an op. Similarly, um, and this is relevant to some recent developments in the January 6 cases, specifically the uh, arrest of uh, an indictment of Stuart Rhodes. Right. The argument was never these 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 specific people are not charged. Therefore, they're feds in the sense that, well, first of all, it was never that in any case. And it was in particular not that to say at any moment. If anyone is charged for anything under any circumstances, that you know, refutes the arguments. It's so it's it's one of those things that um, you know. It's it, again, it's easy to take a simplified version, um, and I'm happy to you know go in and elaborate as as you'd like. But um, but yeah, the first piece was simply saying. There are all these weird discrepancies in the charging documents, and we should interpret these discrepancies in light of these striking similarities to the Michigan case. Yeah, there's the, I mean, to say there aren't parallels, and when we say parallels involving literally the same players in what would seem almost opened up and, and kind of unfolded as a dry run, if you would, in Michigan just months before. Yeah, it's like here's the training, here's the op, 
you did a good job in right. the op. Here's your promotion. Right. And and for people- and now after we've covered that, now there's this uh, this journalist, quote unquote journalist. He's at <laughs> he's at BuzzFeed. Oof. So next next to all the the cat lists that they do at BuzzFeed, there's the journalist Ken Bensinger, who is in some ways he does a good job. He does good legwork. You know, I would. Um, I'd hire him as a personal assistant to look up things like to use, you know, Pacer and to find me the documents. He'd be a good assistant, but he calls himself a journalist and he's doing these things on, on, uh, on Michigan. And he's quite emphatic every time, you know, he does an interview and anything he says, you know what? Yes, this is, this is a total, you know, infiltration thing in, in the Michigan case. There are all these weird things going on in Michigan, but there's absolutely no evidence. And there's no reason to think that there could be anything off and anything similar going on in January 6th. He just completely closes himself off almost on this deep epistemological level to the, the notion that there could be anything similar in January 6th. And so there are a lot of these mop-up job type things where it's like, the cat's already out of the bag on Michigan, so he can build credibility by picking up on the story that we were covering and being very careful to say, yeah, this is the story in Michigan, but you know, don't, don't look over there to January 6th because any, any parallels you might imagine are, uh, are completely fictional. Yeah, you know, in a perfect world, it'd be great to, to point out facts like that and then to use reference points as uh, both impeachment trials and uh, the Russiagate scandal. But unfortunately, in the uh, legacy media right now, they can pretty much say and do and report whatever they want and create narratives. All our friends over at the Washington Post and, of course, the New York Times, they're some of the best history rewriters, well, in the history of the universe, to Mm. be honest with you. And uh, they just continue to operate consequence-free, it seems like, if, if they do wind up getting fired from whatever day job they have, kind of reporting the news that they make up, they just go to another show and you know talk crap about everybody that fired them in addition to the people they were making up news about. So it seems like that's kind of where we're at with that narrative. Uh, what are you working on right now, like in, in regards to January 6th? Do you have any updates for us uh, in addition to some of the stuff you just told us? Um, yes, there, there are some major pieces in the pipeline. I don't want to telegraph too much because now it's now it's an interesting dynamic situation that's the other thing that people don't always understand is that it's not a it's not a static situation the uh, players change their behavior on the basis of what's been reported right so you know this is one of those things where I really think and it's not just to you know you know pat myself on the back or anything or to congratulate revolver um inordinately but i don't think without revolvers reporting i don't think this federal involvement narrative would be a major part of the national discourse at all no and i think that the feds had every reason to expect that it wouldn't and um and it's sort of this unexpected, severe headache that they've gotten that this has reached a level of national attention that they might even have to you know, change some of their behavior in order to accommodate the fact that this is now a major part of the public discourse. And so there's all these kinds of questions of, you know, what what they need to do if there's all this pressure on you know somebody who hasn't been indicted do they need to you know do some kind of 
indictment to uh, alleviate those concerns. And there's been, you know, damage control in relation to Ray Epps, who hasn't been indicted, but yes. apparently he went to the January 6th committee and his lawyer, who is a 10-year veteran of the FBI <laughs> a field office in Phoenix. I'm not making that up. I'm not saying it means anything necessarily. It's just an interesting detail because his lawyer says that uh, Ray Epps um, is not involved in law enforcement. Um, that's supposed to dispel any <laughs> any suspicions in relation to in relation to Epps. And so it's I think at the stage now where it's very much a dynamic situation where, you know, uh, our reporting makes a move and the the other side sort of trying to anticipate what the moves are, where they need to cover their bases, what they need to do in order to um to sort of make their activity uh, as least suspicious as possible. But we're definitely very actively engaged in, uh, we remain actively engaged in January 6th research, and you can anticipate some pieces in the coming weeks. Really looking forward to that. You guys have, you know, been working the front lines, probably at the, the risk of your own safety, et cetera. But, you know, we're really appreciative for some of that investigative journalism and, uh, stuff you've really brought to the forefront to kind of open people's eyes is to paint more of a complete picture of, you know, what they might see on TV every night. Um, Darren, next thing I wanted to touch on. So, so there was a piece from February of 2021 time magazine article. I'm sure you've at least skimmed it. The secret history of the shadow campaign that saved the 2020 election. Um, mm -hmm. I saw recently on revolver news, I wouldn't call it a counterpiece, but kind of a, maybe a warning going down the road uh, heading into the, to, to the next round of elections, including the, the 2024 uh, general that kind of, you know, Hey guys, we saw some stuff happen. <laughs> we all know how it turned out. We're starting to see some of the same things again. How can you kind of weigh in on, uh, you know, some of the things you're seeing in regards to the superstructure that kind of did whatever it did to create the, the presidential situation we have now in Washington, DC uh, working hard again to kind of uh, ensure things like that ha could happen again in future elections. Yes. Well, um, I think the, the piece you're referring to is called the big lie 2024, yep. a peek inside the ruling elites playbook to kneecap Trump purge military neutralize MAGA. quite a title there. Sure and is. basically the, the piece kind of, I think it really contextualizes a lot of the you know this the coverage of one six in relation to why it's actually important i mean it's important for a number of reasons it's important because there are people languishing in prison at this very moment um who shouldn't be there who are being abused in ways that we would normally associate with third world countries so that's one reason there's another reason which is that the narratives um, the false narratives uh, that lean on the false interpretation of January 6th really being used as a pretext to facilitate the weaponization of the national security state against basically anyone who objects to the current regime, principally Trump adjacent people, but mm -hmm. not exclusively. Right. And. Um, and and one dimension of that, other than, you know, labeling, you know, everyday Americans who have the wrong political opinions as de facto domestic terrorists, part one dimension of that is basically preempting, kneecapping 
any kind of uh, possible political coordination on the part of these um, uh, really kind of uh, dispossessed political groups on the right, uh, the populist movements and such. And they're doing that. So for instance, Madison Cawthorn, sitting congressman, Mark Elias and his team, they're yep. trying to use various lawfare capabilities to take him off the ballot because he was supposedly part of this dangerous insurrection. So that's that's one major component. Uh, uh, and they're doing this across the board. They're going to try to you know, destroy anyone who could be an asset to Trump in 2024. They're going after various news media personalities who they think would be big assets for Trump. So people like, you know, Alex Jones and and others. Um, and they're going after uh, the military as well in a very aggressive fashion. One of our successful pieces at Revolver to really uncover this sort of extreme vetting operation politically going on in the military. This guy, uh, Bishop Garrison, um, who's a, uh, you know, kind of rabid uh, political type. You know, if you look at his tweet history, he says things like, oh, you know, the Trump supporters are effectively, you know, the terrorists. And this is the guy, you know, doing the vetting within the military. And yep. we you know, can go back and look at our pieces on him. And this is an extension of that, that, you know, as part of the fantasies of, of the people in charge are really just kind of projective pretenses for saying, oh, they're going to do this, which is really what we're going to do, but they're going to do this. So this justifies these actions that we're going to do to preempt what we say that they'll do if we don't do this. And so, um, you know, they're saying, you know, we need to basically purge the military because, you know, we've done these war games. And if it happened, it you know, happens to be the case that, you know, uh, Trump tries to steal the election, then there's going to be these dangerous insurrectionists in the military. So we need to get rid of them uh, before that can happen. They're saying that, you know, with all this stuff about Mike Pence, um, you know, what a lot of the people on the sort of extreme side, maybe the MAGA side, they wanted, you know, you know, uh, you know, Mike Pence to do all these things. They're saying, oh, Mike Pence is going to disrupt the election and so forth, the certification. Well, they're they're writing pieces now. I think the piece is in the Atlantic, but I'm not sure. Some some equivalent of saying this is precisely what Kamala should do in the event that Trump wins in 2024. So and and using again January 6 is the pretext for that. So so January 6 is you know the broader pretext for the weaponization of the national security state against American people for political reasons, but more specifically, a dimension of that is effectively kneecapping any mechanism that um, sort of the Trump movement broadly understood might use in order to um, achieve political victory in 2024. Yeah, and it's pretty scary to see. Well, I mean, the projection is usually their number one weapon of mass destruction and, and if there's anything that you know they've really uh kind of put their name on it's that moving forward and a lot of the things we see uh you know everything from trying to remove uh, america first members of uh you know the republican party like madison cawthorn and even jim banks who could be future speaker of the house i mean as far as we're concerned from from the ballots and future elections to uh you know saying kamala harris not only sh can do what mike pence didn't but should do 
what Mike Pence did if or didn't if uh, the 2024 election doesn't go their way. Last thing, but I want- what he didn't do, what a lot of people on the MAGA side are upset that he didn't do, they're saying that's what Kamala should do. Right. Yeah, that, that yeah. makes perfect sense. Well, it, well, of course it does. In, insert cackle there. <laughs> the last thing I want to touch on, and it kind of goes right in in line with all the things we've talked about today, was the uh, the issuance of the summary of terrorism threat to the U.S. homeland that came out from the Department of U.S. Homeland Security last week, talking yep. about miss dis malinformation being spread, of course, by people like us, um, and then more specifically the proliferation of false or misleading narratives, which sow discord mm-hmm. and undermine public trust in the U.S. government and its institutions. Wait, people don't trust the U.S. government? Oof. Well, we just talked about it for about 30 minutes, and a whole bunch of reasons why we shouldn't. But oh, wait, hold on. Yeah, okay. Let's continue to go down that road. Never Darren, we, we've, we've never seen anything like this before uh, from the radical progressive lefties that are controlling the Justice Department, the people that are literally pulling the strings. Uh, that is the puppet and empty suit of Joe Biden right now. And instead of kind of just trying to let it go away, like maybe the COVID narrative, when it comes to stuff like January 6th and, and the Donald Trump movement, the MAGA movement, the Save America, America First movement, they're just doubling down on it's not going to happen. I, I think this is pretty much uh, just another ace in the hole that they're hoping doesn't backfire on them. But what's your hot take on this whole thing? I, I heard you on War Room last week giving, giving a really good one. I was just hoping that you kind of continue that narrative right now. On the DHS issue? Mm-hmm. Well, a number of things to say about that. So again, this falls under that broader thematic that is probably the most important development in our in our nation over the past several years, which is this repurposing of the national security state uh, to basically be this domestic political force. And the Department of Homeland Security specifically um, uh, has sort of taken a proactive role to position itself um, at the forefront of this development. Um, The Department of Homeland Security, for people who don't know, it was established in the aftermath of 9-11 in order to prevent another major terrorist attack to sort of streamline our intelligence capabilities so we didn't have a bunch of different organizations working at cross purposes, not communicating with each other and so forth. But ultimately what we got was this vast um, bureaucracy. And um, I don't know if our record, the war on terror as such, is really um, uh, is commendable. (laughs) (laughs) And so I don't know if that really reflects a favorable light on the DHS, but at least like the, at least the, the purpose sounds good. Okay. To prevent another 9-11, that at least sounds good and something that in principle we might all get on board with and leaving out the actual details and implementation and the execution in, in some cases in the literal sense of that term. So leaving leaving those things out at least okay, yeah, I guess it makes sense for us to have an organization like this. Well of course with the um, war on terror uh, have, you know kind of completing its last ignominious chapter, uh, with the uh, Afghanistan disaster, and really the war on terror wrapped up more generally. Um, the DHS needs a new uh, grift. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it needs a new reason for being. It and and it's very kind of forward looking in positioning itself for this. In fact, as we mentioned in this piece on Revolver News, is that. Even under the Trump administration, that gives you a sense of how much control or knowledge Trump had in relation to his own national security bureaucracies. Is that 
uh, three different um, heads of the DHS under Chad Wolf, um, uh, Cuccinelli, um, and McAleen. Yep. Uh, Cuccinelli may not have been a head, but he was a, a definitely um, uh, you know, part of these developments. Um, is that, but definitely under Wolf and McAleen. Um, the DHS released a memo basically saying the number one national security threat in the United States is white supremacy. And this was under the, under Trump, mm-hmm. you know, you know, and there are only two senses in which one can interpret that. One is genuine white supremacy and like white supremacist groups, which are so marginable as to be negligible. So the idea that this would elevate to the number one national security threat is absurd. So the only re- the only way that white supremacy could be significant enough as to constitute a force that would justify the DHS's attention is according to this broad political understanding, in which basically half or close to half of the entire country are effectively white supremacists because <laughs> maybe they maybe they object to open borders or maybe they object to. You know, maybe now to object to, you know, the drag queens is is considered white supremacist. It's a very broad term that effectively means political enemies of the regime. And so uh, political enemies on the right. And so for the DHS to say this is number one threat is to say, okay, this is now going to be our number one priority. And this was happening, you know, in 2020, I think September um, of 2020 maybe even a little bit earlier. And so um, the DHS deserves a special attention in that regard. Another thing we go on in the piece is that Benny Thompson, right. who, is the, who is the chair of the Homeland Security Committee in Congress, he, he's the go-to guy for the DHS specifically. And I'm not suggesting he's a mastermind or he holds you know, the, the puppet master, anything of that sort. He's pretty clearly just kind of low IQ and he goes, (laughs) he goes with what he's told and he gets perks in exchange. But I think it's illustrative that of all people, Benny Thompson is chosen to be the kind of titular head of the January 6th committee, given his close relationship with the Department of Homeland Security. This, I believe, is his ninth year on that committee. And this goes back even to the inception of the DHS, where he was, you know, proponent of a lot of the early kind of war on terror, you know, Patriot Act type activities of the DHS, the rubber stamping. So you have the Department of Homeland Security's rubber stamp man running the January 6th committee, which is all evidence notwithstanding, all of Revolver's reporting notwithstanding, all of the evident facts as demonstrated by video evidence notwithstanding, are trying to shoehorn this narrative that January 6th was this genuine organic insurrection by a bunch of terrorist Trump supporters. (laughs) And this guy's the head of it. Mm -hmm. So I think his relationship with the Department of Homeland Security with just in September said that white supremacy is the number one national security threat. That relationship in itself, I think, is deeply suspicious. And I think it confirms the fact that although we want to be generally vigilant and generally attentive across the board, 
across the spectrum of our national security institutions, the DHS is actually playing a very specific role in this general transformation that we're talking about in relation to the national security state. And it's no surprise to me that the um, DHS recently came out with this ridiculous, like heightened terror alert, at least in the old days of like the crazy neocon Bush days, they were totally, you know, bullshitting us, but at least like on its face, it sounded like it makes sense. Oh, increased terror alert. We heard, you know, the terrorists were thinking of getting nukes or, you know, they'd have something like that to justify their alert. Now they're saying increased terror alert. We've seen an online environment that's conducive to misinformation. (laughs) It's effectively a terror alert. Someone had a spicy tweet. So we're, we're, we're elevating the terror alert. We, you know, so watch out guys, there's going to be a terror attack. Or even more sinister than that, this I'm not making this up. People should go to go to the Revolver news story or just go directly to the DHS um, announcement. They said we think there's a heightened terror alert because um, states are starting to relax COVID lockdown restrictions. And therefore, the fact that people are able to gather outside now with more ease than they were before when we effectively shut down the economy for no reason, they could do terrorist stuff when they go outside without the government's permission. That's literally what they're saying. So the whole COVID nonsense, the COVID lockdown nonsense, which is arguably the greatest crime against humanity other than wartime situation, relaxing those restrictions the Department of Homeland Security is saying relaxing those COVID restrictions amounts to a national <laughs> security threat. Americans being able to go out of their homes without the government's permission is a national security threat. Effectively, that's what they're saying. So it, it's really a remarkable document. Americans being able to, you know, uh, use what's left of free speech on the internet, which has basically been crushed since Trump's, uh, Trump was elected. Right. All the big tech institutions got together and made sure, you know, we need to do something about the internet. And they did mostly, although, you know, there's still, you know, things slip through the cracks here and there. And that's why the DHS says we, you know, we have an elevated terrorist threat. Plus people are, you know, getting to go outside now and then. So, well, you can't go um, do terrorist stuff with a mask on. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's, it's quite a remarkable thing. It's absurd. It's laughable. It's also kind of dangerous. Very dangerous. Yeah. Or, you know, it's Orwellian with a clown face. You know, it's this weird <laughs> kind of new dystopia that we're in, which is simultaneously just kind of evil and absurd and you know the absurdities kind of add the insult to the injury we're not even given the the uh the courtesy of a serious totalitarian regime we're given totalitarianism uh you know with the clown face and with (laughs) with the with the drag queen makeup i can't believe it's not totalitarianism (laughs) there you go Right. Darren, you glad to see uh, over the weekend, you know, we had some developments. Believe me, we, we had that huge distraction of the Super Bowl. Hey, look over here. It's it's Dr. Dre and some Depends and, and Eminem kneeling to stop all of racism in the history of the universe as a distraction. But to see the Durham 
investigation finally starting to pick up steam and looking like it's starting to pull that curtain back a little bit more that's looking like it's going to lead to Hillary Clinton? Um, I think it could. You know, my honest sense of this is maybe it's just, you know, my my bandwidth is, is uh, kind of allocated in a different way. As I think the Durham stuff could be important. I've never really been able to get into it that much. I, yeah. You know, frankly, I find it a little bit boring and I don't know why. Maybe it's because I have this underlying sense that it really won't amount to anything. Um, and, you know, and so, you know, I think it's really important that there's some really, really great people covering it. Maybe that's another reason that it's like already kind of an area that's covered. And also I'm kind of skeptical that ultimately anything will come of it. And so it seems to me that even though the underlying story at some point in the future kind of retrospectively could be an important account of what actually was going on in the country, I think now it, 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 focus, it, it functions as a kind of like, I don't know, soap opera for for boomers <laughs> like yeah. to, to, to keep thinking like, oh, you know, something's going to happen. Oh, something's going to happen. Oh, this is an outrage. And, you know, maybe it is. But ultimately, like, is, is Hillary going to pay a price for this? I don't know. And I guess the other thing that kind of slightly turns me off on it, although, you know, with all those caveats, I think it is very important, is that I think... It, it does have this narrative where it it situates the critique of all of these national security elements within the kind of typical partisan discourse. Like, oh, it's like this is what the what the Democrats were doing or this is what Obama's people were doing and so forth. And ultimately, I do think in order to address the bottleneck to our politics, which is the national security state. Mm -hmm. I do think that the critique of the national security state does need to transcend that normal framework of kind of thinking of things in terms of, oh, here's what Obama's people did. Here's what these other people did, even though like that could be true in the technical sense. But as long as the critique of the national security state is confined within the parameters of the partisan discourse, I think it'll, you know, just ultimately not really get us anywhere. Yeah, I like the point you take on that. And, you know, we pointed out on our show several times, you know, over the course of the last couple of months, we've seen so many of these uh, House committee meetings, these, these Senate hearings where they'll drag the people in, director of the FBI, Alejandro Mayorkas, Austin Milley, you know, they'll just dunk on them for two days straight. They'll get all those nice clips to put on Sean Hannity and all the other mm -hmm. boomer shows. So all the old people get all right. sweaty watching them. And then Senate committee hearings over. Everybody goes back to work. They continue to write bad policy and, and, right. and allow the country to burn. And everybody that complained about it in the Senate hearings just goes back to. Right. It's it functions kind of as a distraction. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things. It's like, again, it's it. Could, maybe it's just self-serving. It's maybe just the kind of the, the the bias that accrues from the fact that my attention's been elsewhere. But it does like seem like there are people who find all of this stuff a very safe issue to cover. Yeah. Who were very scared of the January sixth stuff, and if they covered it at all, it took them a long time to do so. To wait to others to do it until it got safer, and it's just it's just not as 
it's just not as subversive. And I, I think the reason for that, and again, the reason that, you know, Hannity, this is like his staple, <laughs> is um, that it, it really it is contextualized in the typical partisan discourse. It's, you know, it's the Dems, you know, it's the Dems. And therefore, we just need more Republicans to save us from it. And it's in this, you know, constant back and forth thing uh, between the Dems and and the GOP, and oh, if we only we get more GOP in here, we'll stop those those evil Obama people from you know doing this mean stuff to to Trump. Um, you know, it's just safe and and kind of fake, and it it you know and, and it captures a lot of you know, you know the boomers' attention. Yeah. And so it's this weird thing. It's like it's interesting to think that like kind of. The Durham stuff is much more of a Hannity issue, and definitely the January 6th stuff is more of a Tucker issue. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that has some symbolic significance. <laughs> I, I don't But not to say they're, they're both important. It's just in the media, you got to look at things in multiple layers and the, all of this, you know, uh, you know Durham stuff, the, the spying and everything. I think it's incredibly significant as a kind of first order issue as to what actually happened. Yes. But the way it's been filtered in through the media and the significance it's taken and, and the kind of the narrative um, shell that it's that it's uh, a, 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 a adopted, I think, is one that is um, less on the nose and less subversive and kind of less threatening to the system itself yeah definitely less spicy to say the least if fox news right now for the past three four days on every single one of their panel talk shows has been talking about the clinton investigation uh, regarding right. the durham case then you know right. just about how important i'm like i think it's one of those things honestly at the end of the day it's going to be like no one's going to say it but they're all like hey we all knew it happened but nobody died well maybe seth rich did but you know besides that Right. We all knew this but is that's stuff. not an issue they'll discuss. No, they the sure Seth won't. Rich, that's like the one thing that's maybe most interesting about that. That's something they won't discuss. Yeah. So, yeah, I like it. Darren, this has been awesome getting to know you today in person. You know, we've been tracking you for a long time. We, we share some of your pieces and, you know, when you go on certain shows and give some sound bites and uh, definitely talk about Thanks. a lot of the publications that you've put out. Why don't you direct our listening offices or, or our listening audience to everywhere they could find you? Absolutely. So number one is go to revolver.news. Go to the exclusive section. Just enjoy yourself. Peruse through the pieces. Read the January 6th stuff. We've got COVID. not just January 6th. We've also got great stuff on COVID, great stuff on the election, and just great analytical pieces generally. So check that out. That's Revolver News. And if you like it, um, share it with other people. Share it with your friends, family. Share it with people who are even skeptical of the January 6th narrative. Send them our second Ray Epps piece with all the video clips in there and challenge them. Say, have an open mind, read this, watch all the clips, and then look me in the eye and tell me that there isn't something fucked going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's nobody, nobody can meet that challenge. Nobody who's approaching the issue in an objective, fair-minded fashion can pass that revolver challenge. So revolver.news. As for me uh, personally, you can check me out at Twitter. I'm at Darren J. Beattie, 
D-A-R-R-E-N-J-B-E-A-T-T-I-E. Perfect. We'll live link them in our show description today. And at some point down the road, sir, we'd love to have you back. Absolutely. No, I'd love to come back. The man behind Revolver News, Mr. Darren J. Beatty. Thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you so much. Have a great day. So what do you guys think of Darren Beatty? Pretty uh, pretty brilliant guy, huh? Has a lot yeah, to say. Great. He has a lot to say, and he's been doing uh, quite a bit for the community in, in regards to keeping an honest news narrative going and uh, fresh throughout the news cycle. I do like that he agreed with us, and people like Sean Hannity cater to the boomers and the boomers only. I think maybe <laughs> you you might have given him the boomer sweats. Oh. Or not given him the boomer sweats, but given him that. He did laugh. Term to huh? utilize. He did laugh, at least a chuckle. I we bet gotta, he uses boomer sweats soon. We got to get it with everybody. You know, I was QCing last week's show, the Friday one, and man, you got Christina Bob with the damn button. And she like stopped and was like, what? And then she like heard it and she started <laughs> laughing. So I think they forget sometimes we're uh, highly interactive mm-hmm. with our soundboard on this show. Antoinette, what'd you think? I think he's great. I was excited to have him on. Yeah, it's kind of cool to be able to ask him the questions that you may not always hear on other programming and uh, ask follow-up questions that could take him down another road to to just what uh, you may have already seen. And whether or not you've already seen what's going on up in Canada right now, as it looks like Truckapalooza may be coming to a close. Um, We've had some developments in the last 24 hours, although nothing too hot and heavy yet. Uh, We've seen some pretty crazy stuff out of... Justin Trudeau and the, I guess, soy globalists that are definitely uh, doing some bad stuff up there in regards to peaceful protesting and whatnot. I wonder if uh, a place like Canada, if they had uh, experienced as much of a summer of love as we did back in uh, 2020, if they would have been as inclined to... uh, A citizen of the soy globalist regime. You know, and if they would have experienced as much of a fiery summer of love as they did... Back in, like, as we did in 2020, you know, would they be as an inclined to use, what did they, they basically martial law yesterday? The the reports said that, he, okay, so Trudeau um, activated the, the, the Emergencies Act, which has never been activated before, for example. But the, the media was reporting that he most likely won't use the military, which I think is bullshit. You know, if it comes to that point, I don't think he'll hesitate. But I don't think... I don't know if the military will really, I mean, I, I think there will be a, like a really large portion of the military that will not agree to. And we've already seen it with law enforcement, especially, uh, you know, local all the way up to the chief of police of Ottawa resigned today into in regards to things that they were asking him to do hmm. in, in stopping wow. this. Yeah, he it, that was announced this morning. That's a really, that's a really upstanding move, though. Sure that, is. That's really good. It sure you is. Know what, and he, you know what's great, though? I'm sorry to cut you off. What's great, though, is... um. When they were arresting people at Windsor, because they the cops went and they cleared it out, so they opened up the Windsor uh, Bridge and all and all of that um, on the Canada side. Uh, there was not one altercation from the protesters or patriots fighting against the police or anything of this sort. Which I was really I was proud of the people for not, you know, acting like the summer of love people, mm-hmm. for example. You know, so they could they didn't have anything to say bad about them in that in that regard. But I still think. I still think it's disgusting if you ask me. No, I agree. And and, and it, it was done in the face with some of those agitators from our friends over at Antifa up there too. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned the uh, 
the use of the Emergencies Act, and uh, Member of Parliament Joe Lightbound weighed in on it yesterday. Let's hear his take on uh, Justin Trudeau's comments. Let's understand clearly that Quebec, Quebec government, and us do not want this law to be implemented. To be implemented, sorry, on the territory of Quebec, it is not legitimate, and it is useless. So we don't want it. And we don't want the extent of the powers that the federal government could give itself to go as far as eventually uh, using the army. Obviously not in Quebec, but I believe nowhere. Uh, but this is a decision which is, uh, or a position which seems to be the decision of the government of Quebec as well as ours. Just as a follow-up there, sir, uh, the, what has been happening in Ottawa has spilled across bridges into Gatineau, into Chelsea, into Massa-Angers. This whole region has been affected, and this, that includes parts that are in Quebec. Should there not be some action for the greater Ottawa-Gatineau area? There is, that, is, does, that not, does that not apply? There is no civil disorder in Quebec now, which is not well contained by civil authorities and police. And I just can't not think about what South Park's take on Canadian people every time I <laughs> listen to those guys talk. I'm not your guy, buddy. I'm not your buddy, guy. Mm. Flip top heads. Hey, come on, guy. And I do know we have a lot of Canadian listeners. We love all you guys and uh, are extremely yeah. proud of you for how you're standing up to the face of tyranny that is... Justin Trudeau and the current government that's in there now. Um, Pierre Poilier. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to go to the French until we get to uh, our favorite backup. Mm. Yeah. White house press secretary later. Team. I'm just going to read it in American today. He weighed in a little bit more fiery and uh, had this to say to the reporters when it was asked almost the same questions. Has call, caused a political emergency. While the rest of the world and provinces across Canada are beginning to remove restrictions and mandates, Justin Trudeau decided to pile new ones on, targeting truckers' livelihoods. Mm. And now he's got protests right around the country. And now he's uh, dropping in the polls, desperately trying to save his political career and save face for himself. The solution is staring him in the face. All he has to do is listen to the experts, do what other countries are doing, and that is to eliminate these mandates and restrictions to let the protesters, including the truckers, go back to their jobs and their lives. And speaking about the protests, I'll repeat to you what I told the very first time the media asked me about them. I stand with those peaceful and law-abiding protesters, including truckers, who are championing their freedoms and their jobs, while holding personally accountable any individuals who behave badly, break laws, or participate in blockades of critical economic infrastructure. I've always been against blockades, and I still am now because I don't believe you can gain your freedom by blocking someone else's. So yes to peaceful protests, 
no to blockades. And you know how we can put an end to both of them, though? It's real simple. Listen to the science. Do what the other provinces and the co other countries are doing. That is to end the mandates and the restrictions so the protesters can get back to their lives and their jobs. Mm. Well, it's just a pissing match now. It's like they don't yeah. want to appear weak by giving up. And these motherfuckers are not going to give up at all. There's okay. no chance. Sounds like they're taking a... They're organ well organized, too. So Well, it's like, like a lot of those guys, they have nothing else to lose. They're going to lose their businesses. They're probably going to lose their trucks oh, yeah. if they own it. They, you know, There's uh, interviews where the guys are saying, he's like, I had enough fuel to get here, and here I am. And that's it. Well, they're going to lose it anyway if they don't fight, you know, yeah. in the long run. So, oh yeah, I mean, there was a there was a funny thing. It's like Trudeau says they're they're going to lose their jobs if they don't go home <laughs> and lose their jobs or some shit like that. We're going to lose our jobs <laughs> if we go home because yeah. we're not getting vaccinated. Exactly. It was pretty funny that you you mentioned the money, Noah, because when they did have the presser yesterday, which all these guys are talking about, uh, which was Justin Trudeau and his finance minister. Uh, they talked about some of the crowdsourcing and crowdfunding that's been going on. You know, we saw uh, GoFundMe taken down last week and the money was originally going to be redistributed, but was eventually sent back. And then Give, Send, Go over the weekend was hacked. Uh, we saw, you know, they, they put up a, not only a video of Frozen, but everybody's personal information who donated. Oh, uh, yeah. Pretty awesome. And I was, uh, hearing, I was hearing conflicting reports about that. So like I, I posted like a, uh, a guy... I forgot his name. I'm sorry. Um, but a tech guy that was explaining how, like how and what happened specifically and that it's where the gifts and go is working and whatnot. But then I see that they actually did after that, they really did post people's personal information and names. Yeah. I saw videos of it. And, uh, the finance minister yesterday weighed in on how uh, there are terrorism laws already established in, in Canada. That's just absolute garbage. Money laundering. Too. Yeah. So let's money look. laundering. Yeah. Come on. yeah. Let's hear it. We are announcing the following immediate actions. First, we are broadening the scope of Canada's anti-money laundering and terrorist financing rules so that they cover crowdfunding platforms and the payment service providers they use. These changes cover all forms of transactions, including digital assets, such as cryptocurrencies. The illegal blockades have highlighted the fact that crowdfunding platforms and some of the payment service providers they use are not fully captured under the Proceeds of Crime and Terrorist Financing Act. Our banks and financial institutions are already obligated to report to the Financial Transactions and Reports Analysis Centre of Canada, or FinTrack. As of today, all crowdfunding platforms and the payment service providers they use must register with FinTrack and they must report large and suspicious transactions to FinTrack. Sounds like they've done some uh, collaboration with the U.S. Department of Homeland Security recently because right? uh, that's a lot of the stuff that we see going on here in the States in regards to, uh, you know, gumming up people who are well, all right. George Floyd got what from Go GoFundMe? Uh, Forty million dollars his family got. Forty three million dollars for for a career felon junkie who you know, unfortunately, oh, yeah, died from a fentanyl overdose. And then yeah. you, you have this crap going on right now that uh, they're just trying to put fuel in these guys' tanks and food in their bellies and maybe fund a little bit of the electricity that's going into that hot tub they 
Well, how much did BLM make? And it all went to like Act Blue, and then like sixty million plus dollars is missing, and then all these people that were like at the top of uh, BLM and organizations as such buying mansions. I mean, these people were actually actively money laundering, destroying the. Well, yeah, that, and they are the actual terrorists. It's disgusting. I just, I can't. It's, it's just, it's the game plan that's always in place when, when that side disagrees with you. They're going to start with, you're a racist. Mm. Yeah. Then you're xenophobic. Mm. Misogynic? Misogynist. Misogynist, yeah. And then, you know, continue on down the line. And now they're just going to add terrorists to it. And, you know, here you go. It's a catch all for everything now. It's like. Right. Well, you know, I think it's funny. She said, uh, you must report to, FinTrack or whatever it is yep. and then she included cryptocurrencies good luck bitch <laughs> like you know it's not that easy like people are not so they're they're relying on people to willingly report what they get from crypto and that's going to be very difficult for them to kind of tackle if you will if as long as people are smart about it you know because oh, how, how are you going to be able to track like cold storage and and certain transactions it's just ridiculous yeah. I mean, they're, they're panicking right now and they're trying to intimidate people more than anything. Well, if you go to look at that video yesterday after she spoke and while Trudeau was speaking, which we'll get to in a minute, uh, she put her mask up over her face and she was having like a legit panic attack. Yeah. Really? Yeah. It, it's pretty bad. There's a lot of video circulating. Really? Around, well, yeah, like wide eyed, like looking around, like being all crazy. Yeah. Looking. Like rubbing her chest and you could see her like mask going in and out real fast. And, and it was just like, you know, must have just got boosted. There you go. Well, yeah, you know she's re- she knows she she just basically called people terrorists, you know, and and I mean, imagine the heat she's going to get in general. <laughs> it's like the impractical jokers. Okay, now call everybody terrorists. Yep. Oh, I can't <laughs> believe she did it. Bill Maher weighed in uh, on this whole thing with Trudeau, and uh, we're going to hear his take right now on it. Hard to read what he he said. This is a couple of weeks ago. He was, or maybe this is September, but he was talking about people who are not vaccinated. He said they don't believe in science. They're often misogynistic, often racist. No, they're not. Mm, that was not that, smart of him at all. Right. He said, but they take up space. Mm. And with that, we have to make a choice in terms of a leader as a country. Do we tolerate these people? It's like, tolerate these? Now you do sound that's, like no, Hitler. That's, mm-hmm. that, that was... uh, and recently he talked about them holding, holding unacceptable views. Wow. This, I'm yeah. surprised to hear that Trudeau said those things. You didn't see the blackface? I mean... <laughs> no, I'm kidding about it. I'm not, I'm not... I mean, that was not a good look for him. But, I, I, I mean, come on. I mean, that's, I think, what gets under people's skin. Decent take. That's what he's trying to do. Yeah, he certainly is, and uh, I thought that was a nice little... Bill Maher has been, you know, speaking out the way he has. And obviously we don't like him, but like I've said at the last show. I'm liking him more. Well, yeah, for, <laughs> for this, yeah. you know, you, we don't forget the other shit. But um, No, but he, him him breaking character or whatever you want to call it. And it, it's just a whole different vein of people that are getting uh, exposed to a different exactly. narrative. Yeah, that was exactly what the point I was trying to make. He's really good for for the sleepers and the people not really paying attention. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, it all goes back to that side, knowing they need to pull back from the whole COVID thing. If they're going to have any kind of W future. Well, in the midterms. Yeah. 
you know, well, which, they saw polls too, and they're freaking out. Do you see how quickly now they're just dropping everything? Yeah, like Justin Trudeau's favorability, which is down all the way to 16%. You know who else we don't like is Brian Stelter. And don't worry, he jumped right on the back of the of the narrative of the Canadian government, you know, inclining that these people are uh, terrorists. Just Googling that old quote from John Stuart Mill, he talked about your rights end where my nose begins. So, like, your freedom sometimes infringes on others' freedom. And I think, Donnie, what, we, what you've seen in, 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 uh, in Canada is others are fearful of these protesters who are arguing for freedom. Right. Because of some of the fringe rhetoric. Can we play the Daily Show clip for a second? This was you appearing on the Daily Show and then Trevor Noah had a reaction. And because you're not vaccinated, have you, is there business, is there stuff you can't do in Canada now? Yeah, like, I, I'm like, I'm like, well, basically, if you want to compare Canada uh, to anything, it's like uh, Hitler, Germany, and we're like the Jews, eh? You see, this is why we shouldn't be banning books. <laughs> I can't say it better than Trevor Noah. Yeah, look, and I mean, there is, that, that's a really big part of, of what we're seeing there. And, and the re, that just doesn't come from anywhere, right? Because that, 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 that terrible historical inaccurate comparison, uh, we've heard members of Congress here repeated. But it's actually, I think a lot of it is based in, there's been so much demonization of public health officials in this country and elsewhere. Right. Um, that a lot of these people believe that public health officials are there to harm and hurt them, not to help them. Right. It's the bigger picture here is online radicalization of lots of different kinds turns into offline action. Terrible. And whether there end up being convoys in the U.S. or not, we're already seeing the impacts of that in Canada. I feel like that's your beat, Tony, is it's the online radicalization, but then you see what happens in real... In, in re way the, to parrot Look, those. The double standard and hypocrisy is, is astounding. That DHS narrative... Long? Yeah, for how long did BLM and Antifa um, infringe on our rights? You know, for what? Doesn't for count. George Floyd, for no reason, looting, rioting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's disgusting. Well, I, don't, I agree with you both. And I don't know if you saw what I did there, but I put those two clips together. You know, Bill Mars was from Sunday and did not include the rhetoric we heard from Justin Trudeau yesterday, which was Monday here. And uh, Brian Stelter was uh, yesterday night. So he was kind of, you know, feeding in. It was like a combination of what's going on in Canada, plus that DHS terrorism advisory that we spoke with uh, previously when we had Darren on just a bit ago. But I put those two clips together because, you know, they take that quote that the trucker said out of context. This is like Germany and we're the Jews right now. Right. But then you go back just to the clip before that that we played of Bill Maher. And if you missed it, go back and rewind it. Rewind it. He was talking about the people who don't want to get vaccinated are the fringe minority. And in Justin Trudeau's opinion, a quote, they just take up space. Therefore, it need to be handled. Now, hmm, me who has not thrown out history books have read that somewhere before. And uh, it kind of sounds like some of the stuff that happened in World War II Germany and with Hitler. So yep. the comparison is there. The rhetoric has come from the leaders, not the people who are on the streets protesting these mandates. And, uh, you know, without further ado, I think we just should jump into it. What caused this whole, you know, uptick of uh, trying to pin the narrative on, on who's right and who's wrong in Canada. And that's what the comments Justin Trudeau made yesterday. We're going to play it for you right now. Here in our capital city, families, small businesses have been enduring illegal obstruction of their neighborhoods. Occupying streets, harassing people, breaking the law. This is not a peaceful protest. At the borders in different parts of the country, 
The blockades are harming our economy and endangering public safety. Critical supply chains have been disrupted. This is hurting workers who rely on these jobs to feed their families. Despite their best efforts, it is now clear that there are serious challenges to law enforcement's ability to effectively enforce the law. Today, to continue building on these efforts, the federal government is ready to use more tools at its disposal to get the situation fully under control. After discussing with cabinet and caucus, after consultation with premiers from all provinces and territories, after speaking with opposition leaders, the federal government has invoked the Emergencies Act to supplement provincial and territorial capacity to address the blockades and occupations. I want to be very clear. The scope of these measures will be time-limited, geographically targeted, as well as reasonable and proportionate to the threats they are meant to address. The Emergencies Act will be used to strengthen and support law enforcement agencies at all levels across the country. This is about keeping Canadians safe, protecting people's jobs, and restoring confidence in our institutions. He's definitely not my buddy guy. Mm -mm. You know, I don't know. We support everything that's going on up in Ottawa, you know, right now uh, on this show. And I think a lot of people in the United States and probably worldwide do. They've seen a, a grassroots movement that's turned into one of the most peaceful protests that we've ever seen. Everything from, you know, huge barbecue pits to minions bouncy houses. Hot tubs in the middle of the street. And Hot the tubs is a solid move. Right. The cleaning of statues and, and, and historical, you yeah, know. chipping the ice off the steps at the uh, yeah. War Memorial. Monument and stuff is just things well, that you normally don't see in some of these protests, unless you're actually watching the protests to combat the mandates, which worldwide we've seen. There are concerts, there are sit-ins, and the only time we've ever seen violence is when the governments of the countries that want to enforce them start gassing their people, beating their people, fire-hosing their people, etc. And that's kind of... Traitors yeah. and shit, you know? And isn't it... Okay, so, I mean, I don't know if this was throughout the entire, like, uh, convoy, but I remember seeing that these these truckers and these people that are protesting made sure to not block anyone from going about their lives. So they would like, for example, create one lane so people could pass through. Yep. So they're not hindering anyone. So it's bizarre to me. It's obviously just tells you, you know, everything you need to know about Trudeau and and his minions. It's disgusting. Yeah, we're going to continue to, uh, you know, track this as and we hope that. He doesn't use the full teeth of this uh, emergency act to kind of, you know, involve the military, uh, removing people from peacefully protesting the mandates there, because that would be, number well, pretty unprecedented on, on a global scale. We've seen it in, like, minor instances, but not full scale. And, yeah. uh, you know, just, just let the people know, for our non-Canadian listeners, I think we've seen three provinces already uh, relieve, ease, or eliminate their mandates across the board. And then just today when we were recording right now, I saw that the uh, 
entry points in and out of Canada are not going to require uh, proof of vaccination to go out anymore. That, that was recently announced in the last hour, and we'll, we'll continue to track that as it develops as well. Interesting. Yeah, a lot of stuff happening. And as we're getting ready to jump in with our next guest, who's going to be uh, looking to represent Texas 38, Roland Lopez, um, you know, we'll just have to continue to play it by ear. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's a U.S. congressional candidate who's looking to represent Texas 38 in the 2022 midterms. He's a self-proclaimed People's Republican. Roland Lopez, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Hey, guys. Appreciate the time, guys. Oh, we appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to come uh, join us. How's the uh, campaign been treating you as of late, sir? Oh, it's been fantastic. I mean, uh, this is a true, true grassroots effort, and I don't mean that uh, by any way possible in so much that everybody's a volunteer. We have a small budget, but, you know, I, I've, I've spoken to a couple of U.S. congressional uh, congressmen, rather, and ex-congressmen, uh, and, you know, it's kind of the David and Goliath, you know, but the grassroots does work. I mean, Paul Gosar, one of the Freedom Caucus members that endorsed me, you know, had 40,000 going up against 1.6 million, I believe. And, and he won his race. Yep. We're kind of on the same, you know, level playing field as far as what we've raised and what we're going up against. But I tell you what, the grassroots uh, effort, it's humbling and it is it is awesome. It really is. Yeah, that's great to hear. And uh you know, we're going to we're going to get into it right now. So the America First, Save America movement that's going on, it's 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 largely grassroots. There's a lot of people who come from all different, you know, uh, avenues of life, business and uh, just private sector. You've got a lot of people who are, you know, formerly in the military and, and, and things like that. What's what's kind of your background? And then what was what was more importantly, the motivating factor for you to say, you, you want to know what, this is it. I got to get in it. This is probably one of the most important elections in our lifetime. And I'm going to go and, uh, and run for a house seat. Yeah. So, uh, a little quick background. I'm a fourth generation Texan. I'm a son of two migrant workers and okay. not to be conflated with immigrants. Cause a lot of people start saying, Oh, well, you're uh, you know, when I say fourth generation Texan and, and migrant workers, my parents actually picked crops, you know, and uh, went up to West Texas and the Northwest part of the country. So, I mean, hard work is just part of my, you know, DNA, uh, put myself through school, uh, academic scholarship, played collegiate baseball as well. Uh, came up in the ranks in the high tech sector and then migrated over to a small commodity hedge fund and then oil and gas industry, which was the, you know, the bulk of my career, uh, became a CFO, you know, raising, you know, went up in the ranks, you know, all merit, you know, based on what I, what I did, where there's a will, there's a way I didn't, I didn't have a chip on my shoulder for any reason. I mean, a lot of people want to, you know, start in with, you know, labels and I, I don't, I'm a Texan and, and, you know, I earned my way up, you know, through the ranks. Um, one of the reasons I, I decided to run is, is uh, I've been contemplating it, to be honest with you. It's something that I, I had ambitions to do to actually truly serve. I, I think I've seen our, our country migrate back. I mean, we're a constitutional republic. We've migrated from actually serving your country the way representatives used to do it to self-serving, you know, almost an oligarchy. You know, hey, I'm going to go. I'm, I'm going to determine what's best for you, Mr. Constituent. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want I, I truly wanted to serve my country. I saw our country in peril. I, I saw our country truly sliding. And I've got friends from Cuba and, you know, Venezuela. And and, and they say, gosh, well, what are you guys doing? I go, this is riding on the wall. We've seen this this movie before. I mean, what are you guys doing here? And and this is it's truly, you know, where I saw the state of, of our country. And I actually wrote something down. And, 
And like I said, I'm a CFO. I'm an ex-CFO. I'm, I'm a numbers guy. I'm a strategist. But I saw our country in peril, and I, and I wrote something down that I, I did in one of my intro videos. And I said, America's on a path of no return. If we don't hold on to the reins of reason and guide her back to freedom, prosperity, and quite honestly, sanity. I saw our country in an insane environment. And we need Lady Liberty to be guided back to those freedoms and, and prosperity that our founding fathers gave us. And that, that's when I decided I, I've got to run. And I, I've, like I said, I've talked to a couple of people last several years, and this was my time to serve, truly serve. Yeah, what an important time you've decided to, uh, to jump into it right now. So what about, um, you know, the race that you're in right now? What, what, do you, what are you looking at as far as uh, competition? And then, you know, how do you want to weigh in on, on how you feel you've been doing so far? I, no, er, for all our listeners, if you live in Texas, you, you should already know early voting's already started. You got to get out and, and get behind a lot of these America First candidates. But, you know, Roland, I'll throw it back to you. Yeah, I mean, uh, we, we've got an establishment pick, you know, from the get-go. You know, he actually lost the race. Uh, and then they redistrict and he decided to, you know, hop in this race. Uh, he doesn't technically live in the, in the district, mm. but I heard he's moving there sometime soon. Uh, the idea is, you know, I, I've got one guy that I'm really in, in competition with. I, I know my grassroots effort is making ground. And the idea here in my, with my mentality is in my ex, uh, you know, leadership skills, you know, executive experience and athletic career, it's, it's one shot, one kill. I'm going for the gusto. I don't want a runoff, but if I get a runoff, you know, it'll, I'll be, I'll be okay with that. I, I truly think that our grassroots effort is the strongest, even with the, the guy that pays his block walkers, you know? So, you know, the guy that, you know, McCarthy and the establishment pick, uh, I'm, I'm the opposite of establishment. I, I'm the grassroots efforts. I report to my constituents and trust me, they will hold me accountable. Uh, I think we're running an extremely strong campaign. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Like I said, I mean, I'm going for the one shot, one kill, but I'll be happy with a runoff. Yeah, I mean, uh, you have to take into consideration in years and elections past campaigns like these may not have gotten such good traction if we weren't in the state that our nation is in right now. However, it's the it's the type of people who are getting involved, why they're getting involved and then having the ability to point out what separates you from the establishment you know, rhino competitors uh, in these races that you don't see people who would normally walk to easy primary wins. They're, some of them are having to work uh, for the first time in decades. I'll, I'll point out, you know, one race that we know specifically, Mike Crispy, who who jumped in in, in New Jersey 3, uh, oh, yeah. is running up against Chris Smith, who's been in Washington, D.C. for, you know, he's been a House representative for 41 years, and he hasn't lived in the state of New Jersey for 20 and uh, wow. he, he actually has to go back to work and, and, and campaign in his state because of the way the people have so well-received Mike. And, you know, in, in your case as well, we're, uh, we even talked about off-air before we jumped on, Suzanne Harper, who was on our, our Friday show, amazing candidate, looking to represent Texas 3, going and talking to these people and saying, like, listen, we're just like you. We've, we've lived in the same world and the same neighborhoods that you have. We are all being affected by the same things, the border, the economy, national defense, the COVID narrative, you, whatever identifies with you most. And we're looking to stop it in mass when we get there uh, after the midterm elections. Yeah, I mean, here's 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 my thought on, on what you just said. It's it's a wave, not only a wave of, you know, Republicans taking back the House and the Senate, but I truly believe, you know, you brought up Susan Har Suzanne Harp and, and a couple other people that I've talked to here in the state and even the country, you know, Luna in Florida and uh, uh, Jerome uh, Bell in uh, Virginia. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of guys 
there that are true constitutional conservatives. I was endorsed by Paul Gosar and former uh, Freedom Caucus member uh, Ted Yoho. Mm-hmm. These guys are the guys that I'm aligning up with. And Steve King as well. He wasn't Freedom Caucus, but he's a true constitutional conservative. Got pushed out by Bob McCarthy. But I'm truly thinking we're not only coming in with uh, with the idea of, uh, you know, taking just back the House and just regular Republicans. I truly think we're we're building a slate of constitutional conservatives, you know, freedom caucus oriented uh, people in which I think if we, we have a strong enough slate, we can elect actually a Jim Jordan or an Andy Biggs. Uh, you know, to the Speaker of the House, because if we truly bring those constitution conservatives, I, I'll bet you this, you know, one person, Mr. McCarthy, may have a little bit of trouble getting elected. I think it's so close right now that if we truly bring in the constitution conservatives, not just Republicans, I, I think we're going to we're going to make a statement. And that that's where I think the grassroots efforts like you guys were talking about, the grassroots efforts is really developing and, and really swelling. It's like a groundswell that's truly coming into play. Yeah, and it's been amazing to watch and track all these candidates over the last year that we've had come through our show. Some of the things I want to touch on you, they're both national and probably local and important to your specific district. First off, every state's a border state, but there's no bigger one than Texas. Uh, We've had a crisis down there for now, heading on 14 months. Uh, They take it out of the news cycle, but... You know, we could be the first to tell you that it's not calming down in any context. What do you weigh in on, uh, you know, what's just going on and how negatively this is affecting the state of Texas and, and our entire country? And, and what do you plan on doing on working with some of those great uh, people who have advocated for for shutting it down like Dr. Gosar when you get to Washington, D.C.? Yeah, so I, I tell you what, uh, yeah, we're definitely in the front lines. You know, the drugs, fentanyl, uh, human and child trafficking, which is utterly disgusting. Uh, the, the complete takeover. I mean, invasion of our border. And I'll be honest with you, I'm actually not happy with our governor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's weakness in, in what what has taken place. Uh, Biden just opened the gates, the floodgates. Uh, this has got to stop. I mean, we, we are literally, you know, secondary in nature, our citizens, because they're tending to the influx, you know, over two million last year. Yep. This is something that I, I absolutely will shut down. I'm from the border. I'm Latino. I, I, I know the culture and I, I, I know the people that truly come here for the right reasons, but there's a path. There's a way. There's a legal way. You know, I actually had the luxury also uh, to let you guys know, speaking of Tom Holman, ex-ICE director, true patriot, yep. truly wanting to solve this problem. And he gave me three things. So I, I may take a little bit on this one. You know, there's three loopholes that we can fix uh, 85% of the immigration flow. The the asylum rule, the, the TVPA, tech, uh, Trafficking Victims Protection Act, and the Florida Settlement Agreement. Those three things, I can get into detail, but I don't want to take too much time. The idea here is that we truly need to asylum rule adjudicate cases. What we do is we adjudicate them so fast on the surface that we don't obviously adjudicate them from a legal perspective when you go to a court. Unfortunately, when, when you go now, you get what they call, they used, you used to get an NTA, notice to appear. That's a legal document for an illegal alien that says, okay, you need to show up to court. Well, 13% of them show up to court. Yep. That's an NTA. You know what they're doing now? They're giving you RTAs, request to appear. That's not a legal document. They're asking an illegal alien to go check into the, the, the free ticket wherever they want in the country without a vaccine 
to go check into your nearest ICE office, you know, do that for us. That's not going to happen. And, and what, what is it, it's just an, a complete invasion and it's deliberate by this administration. So one of the ideas that I have legislatively is I actually want floating courts. I mean, I, I, I can get into the details. I actually have some some information on my on Facebook on the details of how to fix those three uh, things that I just stated. But one of the things I want is floating courts and floating uh, judges, because when you have floating courts to really take care of the influx, you adjudicate it from a legal perspective, not a, you know, guys that are on the front line, they're, they're tasked to do only what they're they're supposed to do, which is not a full legal adjudication of the case. Right. That's up to the courts. And the guys on the front line, unfortunately, they have they have their 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 uh, rules and guidelines that they have to abide by. Unfortunately, the cartels, which I want to call terrorists, which they will be in, in my in, with my legislation. And I'll actually, you know, uh, uh, sanction any country that harbors a terrorist, i.e. any country that that has a cartel in it. And what I what I want to do ultimately is have the judges adjudicate the cases there. These floating courts, floating judges that will actually adjudicate the cases because these guys know the script. They pass the script on asylum cases or other other verbiage that G, uh, NGOs or cartels give them. So when we do is we actually adjudicate the case right then and there. We either ship them back because they don't have an asylum case, true, true asylum case, or we allow them the country and then really track them so that we can really start doing it. And one of the things that Paul Gosar, Mr. Gosar, Dr. Gosar said was he actually wants a moratorium. Yeah. Absolutely needed right now. A moratorium to say, stop. Let's figure out who the hell's in our country, account for them, deport uh, criminals, and just get this. Let's just stabilize. For the next 10 years, let's stabilize and then get, get the immigration process going again legally and rightfully. Yeah. I mean, uh, a lot of those things make sense. We've, we've heard the idea of, of the floating judge system, uh, the floating courts, which I think is amazing. Immigration moratorium. Nothing would help solve this problem and, and deal with not only the people that we've let in over the course of the last 13, 14 months, but over the last probably 30 years and getting yeah. those numbers, you know, back down to where they, they need to be. And then removing the people essentially who, sh- who shouldn't be here uh, based off on, you know, their claims of why they want to come or if they've been illegally present in the country and, and, and need to be removed otherwise. Or if they commit a crime in the process of claiming asylum. Oh, there you go. Before they check into yeah. their ICE office voluntarily, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and, and, things, exactly. and things of that nature. Listen, another thing I wanted to touch on you with, which is probably huge, is you know, in addition to the economy, which is disaster right now, thanks to to the Biden regime, uh, it's the energy crisis we're also going through. Prices are through the roof, both at the fuel pump and in the home. Uh, Texas is a huge, you know, energy first state uh, that that has always been, uh, you know essential in, in fueling the, the country and, and we're just not utilizing any of that stuff right now. In addition, we're, we're sh- essentially shutting down a lot of workers' jobs. Um, what are some of the things that you'd like to do that not only helps Texas, but on a national level to make us less energy dependent on anywhere else other than ourselves again? Yeah. It, isn't it crazy? Just over a year ago, we had dollar eighty-five uh, gas prices here in, here in Texas. Mm. I mean, it's, you know, oh my gosh, you know, it's been decades. No, it's actually been a little over a year. This is once again, a deliberate measure by the Biden administration. And and, I mean, we were energy independent. And now we're asking Russia and even OPEC to turn up the spigot so that we can uh, bring down prices on gas. How ridiculous is that? I mean, Texas alone generates 
25% of the natural gas for the entire country. Just think about that, guys. We, we, are, we have the resources here that not a lot of countries have. And yet we're driving prices up. Uh, inflation is part of that. And, and here we are printing money, you know, because of COVID, because of the energy crisis, because of the situation that we're in. It's utterly ridiculous that we're actually printing money, which is causing inflation. Any debt injection or capital injection that typically goes to markets, you know, it's not hitting Main Street. I don't think people realize that. I have, obviously have a big finance background, I'm ex-CFO, so economics is, is my forte. But I look at this, this capital injection that just keeps on going to markets. The markets look good and people are like, they, they feel okay. But quite honestly, we're layering debt over debt over debt time and time again. And that our dollar is worth less and less and less. And so you see the prices and the impact from the producer price index or the consumer price index, which is the second layer. Producers can only withstand so much before they have to pass the prices down to the consumer. And what happens is we're injecting all this you know, debt into our economy. The markets in the, the actual New York Stock Exchange, the, the financial markets, they take in that money and it goes straight from the government, capital injection, to, to the big corporations. Nothing's getting to Main Street. What is getting to Main Street, I'll tell you what, and this is probably an accomplishment the Biden administration doesn't want, is they're actually getting the highest inflation numbers in 40 years. Yep. You know, you know, this is ultimately what I call a blue collar middle America tax every freaking day because they're having to pay prices on gas, food and everything they touch. And you know what Biden was bragging about? Anybody under four hundred thousand dollars a year would not have a tax, you know, wouldn't be taxed. We're going to take care of the middle class. He is burying the middle class right now. Yeah, they're really, you know, yeah, there may not be an official tax, but when you're quadrupling spending on, you know, a, a working class family, then that is just as good as a tax. Yeah, absolutely. And when, and Every when, day. When you talk about how that spider webs into so many other things, now you have families instead of like, we're, we're, we're nowhere near getting back to the days to where a, a spouse or a husband can stay home and, and be with the kids and help raise them. Now you have parents working multiple jobs each at all random hours. It, it touches so many different things because, you know, that, that then that affects the home and the family. The kids aren't getting the love and nurturing they need at home. In addition to the supervision, which in, in a lot of cases could, you know, add to the crime rates and all the stuff that's going on over, around the country. And yeah. it's, they, yeah. They've created the perfect storm, and they just seem like, you know, they're just relishing in the fact that it's it's working almost flawlessly right now. And, well, it's uh, got to be a bad feeling for those families. Like, you know, they don't have time to have, like, mom stay at home or dad stay at home, and then they're worried about what their children are being, teached in, are being taught in school. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, or what they're not being taught, which is probably more important. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's Roland, we want to give our listeners who are definitely, uh, you know, living in the area, especially in the district, a little update on what you got coming on down the road. And, and then where could every everybody follow you across social medias to help support your campaign, you know, share your social medias. And, of course, you know, send some donations to help fund uh, your, your move to get on the ticket in the Republican primary. Yeah, I appreciate that, guys. So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm at probably two or three events every day. <laughs> It's actually, you know, it's getting crazy, crazy town. So I've actually taken a pause from work. I'm a consultant and advise, you know, companies around the world. But here, here, I'm taking a break to truly, you know, campaign and connect with the people. That's what I've been doing since last May, April or May of last year, to be honest with you. Uh, you can go to Texans, uh, texansforlopez.com and obviously contribute. 
uh, we're, we're doing a lot of events. So you can also go to my Facebook. Uh, we post events. We post endorsements. We post. There's a couple endorsements coming out this week. Uh, Steve King and, and Ted Yoho, uh, ex-Freedom Caucus uh, member, Steve King, who is just an absolute constitution conservative, stood by, you know, what he believed in no matter what. And these are the guys that I'm aligning with. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Getter, Texans for Lopez on all platforms. And then my website, TexansforLopez.com. Perfect. And then, of course, after the primary, you know, we got a deadline here of uh, March 1st coming up. We want to see you on the ticket, and we definitely want to have you back with an update as you head into the uh, midterm election season and, uh, you know, let our listenership hear all about your opponent then and, and what you got going on and, and do anything we can to do to support you. I appreciate that, guys. I will absolutely make some time for you guys. I appreciate the time again. And we appreciate you. This is the man who's looking to represent Texas 38 in uh, the midterm elections, Mr. Roland Lopez. Thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. It was good getting to meet uh, Roland and and hearing all about his campaign. Sounds like he's pretty squared away. What do you think, Noah? Yeah, pretty good. I like yeah. it. After that, you liked him? Yeah, I think he's great. Just remember That's all that. Happy. Got a lot of early voting going on right now in Texas all the way up through uh, March 1st for the primary. So get out there and support these candidates that we've uh, you know been having on, especially from the great state of Texas. Yeah, and if these guys get in, I mean, every yeah. single one of these people that we talk to, rock solid. Positive changes, too. Mm-hmm. Like, positive changes beneficial to the country like you can't like unless you're gonna go back and try to do this bullshit where like everything's racist like no this is these are legitimate like common sense ideas to stem the flow and make uh the caliber of people that we're getting better Mm -hmm. and i'm not saying that we're not getting high caliber people right now higher but higher, higher caliber. They all live there. They work there. They've raised their families there. A lot of them own businesses. They're going to be, you know, a contributing member of society. Sure are. And then the people on the left too that are, you know, don't like us very much. This, this will benefit everybody in uh, reality. You know, I can agree with that a hundred percent. And I can also agree with the fact that I think everybody's going to benefit from hearing our next guest who's getting ready to jump in. His audio is loading right now. Mr. Jim Bognett on steak for breakfast. All right, joining us next on the show, he's a uh, northeastern Pennsylvania native, conservative fighter, and former President Trump appointee who's looking to represent Pennsylvania 8 after the midterm elections, Mr. Jim Bognet. Thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks for having me. Great to be with you all. It's our pleasure, sir. How are you doing today? We're doing great. We're, uh, we're going from one event to another, so we're in the car. Apologize if the audio gets weird. Just let us know and we'll uh, pull over. Yeah, I think that's a it's, it's a reoccurring trend with all the candidates we've had on lately. It's yeah, like, they're busy, and I'm, that's I'm, good. Yeah, it's really good to have these America Firsters out there, like just working hard on both ends of the uh, burning the wick on both ends. It's great to have you join us, and uh, let's like jump into it right now. How's the campaign trail been treating you as of late? Well, we're tr- seeing tremendous enthusiasm. Uh, folks are so disgusted with what Biden and Harris and Pelosi and all these liberals are doing to our country. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm from Northeast PA where Joe Biden claims to be from Scranton, even though he left here when he was three years old, which was about 150 years ago. And uh, That's I'll tell you what, man, even moderates and independents, even some Democrats are saying this guy is not who he said he was. Uh, we knew, we knew guys like us knew and, and gals like us knew that, uh, that he was a liberal, but now even some of the Democrats and independents are realizing he's a far left progressive. And I think we're going to have a red wave coming up here in 2022, but we still have to work to earn it. Hey, talk about working to earn it. What's the, uh, 
reception been like for you out on the campaign trail as you try to get some of these, uh, you know, it says you're a former uh, President Trump appointee. I'm going to ask about that as well. But bringing back some of these Trump era policies, which were so successful over the course of four years, how does that kind of, uh, you know, be woven into your campaign right now? Well, I'll tell you two very important areas. Number one on the economy, the economy of Northeast Pennsylvania, where I'm from, which you know was challenged from about 2008 to 2017. Under President Trump, it was the most robust we've ever seen it in my lifetime. I'm 46 years old. We had unemployment down around 4%. Mm. We were building new factories. We were building new warehouses. Uh, real estate was doing very well. And then between Biden and, and COVID, uh, we, we hit a really tough spot there in 20, uh, 2020, 2021. We had you know, huge spikes in unemployment in Pennsylvania, a lot of dislocation. So uh, we need to get the economy back on track, get it out of the ditch, go back to the Trump policies of low taxes and mm-hmm. low regulation and pro-worker, try to get worker salaries up. Uh, secondly, immigration. You know, my hometown of Hazel in Pennsylvania uh, has dealt with the um, incredibly negative effects of illegal immigration. We've seen uh, drug crime skyrocket, fentanyl deaths. And under President Trump, we had the return to Mexico policy. We were building the wall. We were actually trying to solve illegal immigration. And under Sleepy Joe, all we see is a, a cascade of illegal immigrants coming in. And even worse, guys, we have ghost flights coming into Wilkes-Barre Scranton Airport where the Biden administration is paying to put tons of illegal immigrants on flights. They started doing it Christmas night thinking nobody would be paying attention. But luckily, we had supporters out there that had videos of illegal immigrants being airdropped into Pennsylvania. And we, we called BS on it. And we, we've been doing everything we can to stop it. But these guys just never stop. They're trying to make every state a border state. They're trying to plant Democrat voters all over the country. Yeah, we saw... Uh... You know, we've been following your social media, and I've been tracking you for quite a while as we've been trying to get you on the show. You, you've done some really great, in addition to being a candidate, investigative almost journalism in regards to some of the uh, Afghan refugees that are getting shipped into your uh, state and into your district. Why don't you tell our listening audience a little bit about that and uh, bring them up to speed on a situation that's definitely one that needs to be out in the open. Well, I appreciate you talking about our, our videos. You can check them out on bognetforcongress.com, on our YouTube channel, or on Bognet for Congress on Twitter or Facebook. So basically, the situation is, you know, this is a very rural area in northeast Pennsylvania. And in a little little area called Butler Township, which is a township of about nine, ten thousand 10,000 people, we have a job corps, which is a federal facility uh, that's meant to teach um, inner city kids and uh, kids from low income skills to get good jobs. And, you know, it's been around for 50 years. My mom was a teacher there in the 70s. And, you know, it, it, it has its ups and downs, but it's trying to get people jobs. So, we, you know, locals have been generally supportive of it. Biden, without any notice to local government, local police, state police, uh, announced that he's going to try to put over 500 unvetted Afghan refugees into this facility. This is a rural facility. There's no walls. There's no fences uh, near a school, near homes, near farms. And he's just going to drop 500 unvetted Afghans there. Um, it's not meant to be a refugee uh, camp. It's meant to be a skill center to, to get jobs. So, uh, you know, I invited all the governor candidates, all the Senate candidates to come and see what's happening and see how it's going to change this community. Um, you know, especially when you're not coordinating with local police. The first one to take me up on it was Dr. Oz. Uh, Dr. Oz came into town last week. I took him to the facility. We parked our cars there. Security came out tried to throw us off the property. 
So we walked to the edge of the property and started recording a video where you could see that there were no walls, fences. You could see houses in the background. Security start running at us, screaming, trying to get us off the property. But, you know, we stood our ground and said, we want answers. We want to know who these people are, what their background is, what their COVID status is. Uh, have they been checked for terrorist uh, affiliations? Have they been checked for Taliban affiliations? We cannot get any answers. Uh, Cartwright, my opponent, the liberal Democrat who holds the seat, he won't answer us. Biden won't answer us. And, you know, Joe Biden's trying to make northeastern Pennsylvania a dumping ground for illegal immigrants and uh, unvetted Afghans. And we just won't stand for it. Yeah, no better way to pay homage to supposedly the place that he was born in, you know, than then turning it into a, a third world dump by incorporating unvetted uh, refugees from all over the world into it and kind of destabilizing the whole structure that is that small town life. Um, yeah, that's pretty, I think it's equal parts, you know, incredible to hear. And at the same time, just so offended by, you know, this story we hear from so many other people that have come on our show and talk about whether it's in Arizona or Texas or even up in places like, you know, Michigan and, and, and ones that aren't necessarily border states. We've come to learn that every state is a border state now. Much of that has to do with with the policies of this administration and where they're dumping people all over the place. But, you know, it's just uh, amazing to hear that, uh, you know, we could see something in, in such rural, peaceful parts of Pennsylvania like that. Just 500 people could really, you know, destabilize an entire community. Well, you know what was interesting? We went to the Butler Township Supervisor meeting that night. Usually they get five or 10 people. There were 125 people there. And it was great to see citizen democracy at work. People standing up and saying, you know, how come the state police weren't contacted? Uh, here's what I'm afraid of. Once these people come here, will they ever leave? Uh, what's the security situation? Uh, have they given you any information, local supervisors? Of course, the answer was no. They gave them some cockamamie statement by the Department of Labor saying we stand ready to take as many unvetted Afghans as, as are willing to come here. Uh, and, you know, it feels like and maybe this is just because I'm from a small town. It feels like the Biden administration is picking on small town and rural and red state America, saying we're going to export our problems there because there's not as much media. There's not as many big city leaders that can fight back against this. We'll just take out and pick on each of these small communities because they don't have the power to stand up to the federal government the way bigger cities were. But you know what? We have the Internet. We have social media. We have citizens that are standing up and saying, don't make us the dumping ground for your problems, Joe Biden. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting to hear. You know, you talked about the person who is currently in the seat there, your your, your opponent and uh, what it's done in in retrospect is has awakened a large part of this grassroots movement to really get involved other than just going out and advocating. They're getting in the races now and they're looking to go to Washington, D.C. and turn it on its head after the midterms. No doubt about it. I mean, I was honored to work for President Trump. And, you know, what got me to run for office was when uh, the current representative, liberal Matt Cartwright, I call him Nancy Pelosi's lapdog because she pets him and feeds him and gives him money uh, to try to hoodwink the people of Pennsylvania. When he voted to impeach President Trump, yep. I resigned my position in the Trump administration, drove, drove back home and announced I was running for Congress because I just feel like there's no way that Northeastern PA, which is a working class a predominantly uh, conservative area should be represented by someone who, you know, votes with Nancy a hundred percent of the time, uh, just like her. He's a rich, entitled uh, uh, progressive. You know, this guy, when he got in office was worth $4 million. And now 10 years later, he's worth $20 million. How the heck did that happen? When did, when did 
getting elected to Congress become a, a millionaire guarantee program. It's it's unbelievable. And I just feel like we'd be a lot better off if we got rid of uh, rich, effete elites like Pelosi and Cartwright and actually had people who understand what it's like to you know work a real job in America. Yeah, you're 100 percent right there. And I tell you what, he didn't get an extra $10 million or $18 million on his $180,000 a year government salary. That sure as heck uh, is the truth. Well, we see so many of these guys, they go into Congress, they start trading on inside information, yep. uh, you know, stock trades out the kazoo. I don't know. Is anybody calling you guys up from uh, from Washington, D.C. and giving you stock trading advice? Because it seems like all these Democrats in positions of power in Congress. And frankly, if I'm being honest, too many Republicans uh, all of a sudden think they're uh, the wolf of Wall Street. And, and they're doing tons of stock trades. And, you know, that's why people start to lose faith in government. That's why normal Americans start to say the system is rigged against us. Mm-hmm. And whether it's elect the election, whether it's uh, stock and bond trading, I, I, I'm just sick and tired of normal people feeling like the system's rigged against them. 100%. Jim, another thing I want to touch with you on was uh, national defense. Uh, obviously, it's been everything from Afghanistan to the woke interjection of the the Biden agenda into the military. As we speak right now, Joe Biden is addressing the nation. I roll my eyes when I say that in regards to what's going on on the Russia-Ukraine border. You know, we had people from the State Department and and the Department of Defense both saying that they have no idea how many people from the United States are in Afghanistan. Either there are positive collaborators or, you know, officials and and people who are in in that country over there in, in Ukraine right now. What can we do to really rein in this military and, and the awful people who are in its leadership right now and then get back be into that, you know, peace through strength uh, platform that President Trump had so much success with on a national level? Well, man, you just put your finger on that peace through strength. You know, President Trump was about America first, but he understood and he showed that it was about having a strong America. When America's strong, when you have decisive leadership, other countries don't mess with us. And anytime that other countries or terrorist groups mess with us, President Trump messed back hard. I mean, I remember the uh, the Soleimani, uh, you know, missile strike. Yep. Nobody, no president of my lifetime would have the guts to take out an Iranian terrorist on the soil of a third country. Mm-hmm. President Trump had the guts to do that. So what really drives me the craziest about Biden is he's made America, uh, our foreign policy, a laughingstock. Uh, we saw what happened in Afghanistan. I know under President Trump, that the Afghan withdrawal would have been handled with strength, that if there was a, a suicide bombing and 13 Americans were killed, American heroes like happened under Biden, President Trump wouldn't stand for that. And that's what I worry about. Biden's, Biden's weakness is provocative. It's provocative to the Chinese who we're, we're dealing with over Taiwan and over bases in the Pacific. It's provocative to the Russians. Yep. It's provocative to all of our enemies. So if we don't get back to an America first uh, strong foreign policy like President Trump had, I think our adversaries are going to try to take advantage of us all over the world. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Jim, last thing I want to touch with you on, and it's a, it's a pretty big one as we're heading into the midterm season now. We already have early voting in some states, including Texas. Uh, mm-hmm. We see a lot of a walk back of the COVID narrative that has pretty much helped destroy this country, especially since the Biden uh, administration took over. You know, it, the economy was going to get fixed regardless as we eased off some of the restrictions, but it was the implementation of the mandates and how that was like a death stroke to our economy where we started to see empty shelves, uh, people getting fired left and right, all the way up from like regular businessmen like truckers all the way up through people in, in our armed forces and, and, and people who work, work along the border and stuff like that for the federal government. 
they're going to try and make the casual politics follower forget how awful the last two years were, especially this last 14 month stint under the Biden administration as, as like a non-issue as we head into the midterm elections. What is you as, as a real strong conservative and, and a supporter of Trump ever policy is going to do to make sure that what they did to the American people, the, the average middle-class family member uh, at, at the gas pump, at the grocery store, maybe even in their careers, uh, keep that at the forefront as something that the, you know, the radical liberal progressives need to be held accountable for uh, when we head to the ballot box in November? Well, I'm so glad you asked this question. I could probably talk for 10 minutes on it, but let me try to hit some of the main points. Number one, I've been going after these radicals since uh, April of 2020. I went on Tucker Carlson during my primary last time around and went after Wolf, uh, Tom Wolf. And his, uh, his secretary of health, who's now in the Biden administration, uh, they did some really evil things. They, they sent over 5,000 COVID-infected patients back into nursing homes and killed senior citizens across Pennsylvania. Uh, these mask mandates, I've been speaking out against them last year at school board meetings all across Northeast Pennsylvania. The damage that have been done to school-age children uh, with this theater is unbelievable. Uh, you know, you have adults that don't have any uh, mask mandates, but yet we're masking up our kids who are under the least risk of being hurt by COVID. It's, it's really the, the mandates are so out of control and so disgusting to me. Um, you know, people, even Democrats are some of them are up in arms about mm -hmm. this because we realize how much hypocrisy there's been, how much misinformation from our government, um, the, the use of fear over and over again, going back to the well trying to scare people, trying to scare parents, trying to scare Americans uh, in order to exert control. You know, whenever you see a, a government trying to use fear, you know they're going for control. And Wolf has been horrible about it. Cartwright, who I'm running against, has been horrible about it. Heck, Pelosi still has proxy voting going on on the House floor, which is outrageous. Yep. Uh, if you're being paid to be a congressperson, you should show up and vote. Instead, they're using it as remote work vacation policy. And it's disgusting. It's sickening. We need to get back to normal. And, you know, I worry there's a whole generation of kids and young people out there that have been taught to, to, to worry about fear more than anything. We need to get back to normal America. We can do it safely. And to be honest, we've been able to do it safely for a long time, but these politicians do not want to give up their power and control. And I think you've seen an uprising of parents across the country. Yeah. It's so heartening to see what's happening in Virginia. We need to say with one voice, stop, stop abusing the American people and using COVID as your excuse. Yeah, one hundred percent. I wonder how many. Yeah. I wonder how many of those uh, congressional people that uh, were doing proxy voting showed up at the Super Bowl. I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. it's unbelievable. Yeah, you guys better all be making that Super Bowl uh, party that they had over the weekend maskless while all the help and then your kids the, the following day went back to school masked up a centerpiece of, of your uh, campaign commercials moving forward. Jim, this has been awesome getting to know you today. I know we've been trying to get you on the show for a while, but... You know what? I actually believe you when you talk about how busy you've been uh, via email now that I've talked to you, you know, via via Zoom now. And uh, I'm glad that you came and shared with our listening audience today. Well, I'd love to join you all again. Thank you for having me and your patience in scheduling this. I'd ask folks to check out our website, Bognet for Congress, F-O-R, Bognet for Congress .com. Check out our social media. And if I could put one quick plug in, Get it. you know, that video with Dr. Oz has been shared about 50,000 times. It's not an endorsement of any any 
anybody running for Senate or governor. I want every candidate in Pennsylvania to come and see what the Biden administration is trying to do to northeastern Pennsylvania, because I think if people saw it up close, the way Biden's trying to muscle and abuse uh, rural communities, uh, everybody in Pennsylvania and everybody in the country would be up in arms about it. So please check it out. Yeah, we'll live link the uh your Twitter account, and then your your uh, campaign website in our show description today. We'll send everything over to you, and we'll get those shares up because we'll be we'll all be sharing it after uh, this afternoon. This is the man who's looking to represent Pennsylvania in the midterm elections, America First Close. candidate Jim Bogdan. Thanks now? for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. <laughs> Are we going uh, to be involved in any kind of a border skirmish between a minor incursion between Russia and Ukraine? I, I guess yeah. as the news cycle goes, it depends on who you listen to. You know, there's there's narratives coming from both sides that are a little bit pointed yet different. Um, well, they they deliberately misinterpreted because there there's no way like what they reported about um, Zelensky saying that uh, Russia is going to invade them on Wednesday on the 16th, <laughs> but that was it was completely opposite of what he actually said. Just hilarious. Yeah, he had to actually go on record and and ask the international press if they have ever heard of this word that's not used as much these days called satire yeah he said it, like it was reported it was he was being ironic <laughs> yeah so maria bartarono warned of uh you know a possible false flag event in regards to uh russia and ukraine and how it could be a distraction from here uh, you know of things going on stateside let's hear it 2016 election they tried to cheat in the 2020 election behind the guise of covid we are getting into it this morning. This morning, oh, and by the way, I have to tell you, all weekend long, the White House leakers have been running around saying that Putin is going to invade Ukraine this Wednesday. So is it all a ruse that they are really going to invade this Wednesday, or are they trying to create all of this drama because we were getting this Durham information and because we just saw 40-year highs on inflation? Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Maria Bartiromo is probably the next person to get fired at Fox News. Probably. You know, she keeps bringing up the uh, 2020 presidential election, which is relevant. And then the guise of COVID has to take away from all the awful stuff that's going on in, in the world in addition to it to being a control device. And, uh, you know, I know she's got – she pretty much runs Fox Business. But uh, I don't see that aging very well if she's going to continue to stay on, on that narrative, which I like. But uh, yeah, she's definitely been activated. But let's see how long it lasts or she lasts, like you said, on the network. Yeah. So we had some uh, some of that information she was talking about came via the State Department and of the DOD. And Ned Price kind of. Uh, added fuel to the fire in, in regards to the non-invasion that so far is going on. Let's hear him on Ukraine. Um your comments just now and the decision to close the embassy, move to Lviv, would seem to suggest that you don't put a lot of faith in the comments that Foreign Minister Lavrov made this morning about, you know, that there's still time to, for, for diplomacy to work here. Ned Price already rolled his eyes. Fair <laughs> assessment of your, your understanding? We have taken note of his comments. What we have not taken note of is any indication of de-escalation. Uh, we have not seen any tangible, any real sign of de-escalation. We have been consistent that we want to pursue the path of diplomacy. We want to resolve uh, this through dialogue, through diplomacy, through communication. 
Uh, we hope the Russians have a similar willingness. Uh, but we haven't, we've also said that in order for diplomacy and dialogue to succeed, it has to take place in the context of de-escalation. And we have not seen anything resembling de-escalation. There is not that context yet. Uh, if uh, Foreign Minister Lavrov's comments are followed up with concrete, tangible signs of de-escalation, we would certainly welcome that. We have not seen that yet. Hmm. Now, have you seen any signs of de-escalation? Uh, no. But at the same time, you haven't seen any signs of escalation. And aren't they, weren't the troops just doing an exercise and then they were like retreating back, going back and like basically. Yeah, that was today. There was some. like punch in the air. Like, no. Yeah. Some mobilization. This is, this is like the newscaster that's like, uh, you know, filming for like a news interview with a, or not an interview, but a news segment with a hurricane. <laughs> And like yeah, exactly. they're leaning into the wind and they're acting like they're getting blown away. And then some dude in shorts and flip flops walks by behind them. That's basically oh, what's God. happening. So, so you're saying this is the uh, European version of the Anderson Cooper up to his neck in water when the cameraman's. Dead. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like laying down in the water. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Well, I, I can I can safely say if there's one thing that our government is looking to not recreate, it's the disaster that happened in Afghanistan. We did have. An advisory for, you know, embassy members and, and friends of the United States. To, those people at those embassies are probably like, well, shit, this hey. is going to suck. It's, it's uh, like that funny movie where, like, the uh, record it's like, scratches. Yeah. yeah, that's me. Let me tell you how I got to this uh, It's point. like the, uh, you know, normally, like, you're just ignoring all these emails, and then they get that one. They're like, oh, shit, I better print this one. Why did I have that guy tagged this automatically to the <laughs> trash? <laughs> no, well, former Susan Rice staffer and, and current whatever the hell he is for our government, Jake Sullivan, who we'll talk about a little bit later during our Durham segment, um, weighed in on just how this was going to be different than Afghanistan or not. Do you have a picture of how many Americans right now are in Ukraine? I would refer you to the State Department for the specifics on this because I don't want to do it off the top of my head. There's basically two categories. There are those who have registered with the embassy and those who have not registered with the embassy. In the first category, obviously, they have a number, although some of those folks have already left and didn't deregister. In the second category, uh, we don't know because, of course, no American is obligated or required. So you can't fix a perfect number. Mm. Where have we heard that before? Yeah. Right. That's uh, very scary. How come they don't ever have like the other person there? Like, I'm going to refer you to the State Department. Oh, no, no. And then the guy's like standing there and he's just like, no, don't call on me. Didn't you hear what the reporter said? Yeah. While, while he while he was wouldn't let her cut in. He's like, yeah, I'm going to have to refer you to the State Department. She's like, we already asked the State Department. They don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't catch that. Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty scary state for whoever we've got over there. Scary either. State Department. Yeah to say the very least. Um, Nobody knows what the hell is going on. Like these people, like they're just winging it at this point, you know, and just pot, like relaying it to someone else what, and then getting caught every time. I don't understand how you don't know. Like, I mean, isn't there travel records and like your passport is scanned when you enter that country via anything, especially if you have a diplomatic one. Yeah. Like mm. I would think that those might be, Oh, I don't know. And I don't know how Eastern Europe, Eastern European bloc countries typically are this time of year, but I can't imagine that too many people are vacationing in Ukraine right now. Yeah. And I mean, in Europe is pretty strict about, you know, about keeping records in that way. 
Oh, they, they certainly are. And it's, it's not an unestablished country like, let's just say, Afghanistan. Um, our least favorite backup press secretary, Karine Jean Piet. <laughs> I like her. The first name gets a now. Weighed in yesterday uh, as she was peppered with questions on, on the event or non-event that's going on on the border between Russia and Ukraine. She she was questioned on whether uh, it's a smart move right now to be moving our embassy operations from. Did she say I'm going to refer you to the smart people? Well, that would be Jen Psaki, and we all know that's not true. From the capital of uh, Kiev to Lviv? I don't, I don't know how to I'm butchering these names. But Kiev? Yeah. Lviv? Yep. Uh, the State Department announced me today that they are temporary, temporarily relocating our embassy operations in Ukraine uh, from our embassy in Kiev mm. to Lviv mm. due to the di- dramatic acceleration in the buildup of Russian forces. A core team of embassy staff is remaining in Ukraine to engage with the Ukrainian government, coordinating diplomatic efforts and diplomacy to de-escalate uh, the crisis uh, if the crisis continues so i just wanted to not too much of uh sauce there no other than (laughs) they're probably telling him smash all the computers burn all the papers and get the hell out of dodge or she put it kiev they're watching hillary clinton youtube videos and how to uh how to bleach (laughs) the drives well you don't have to worry about it because uh our fearless leaders the tag team duo of Biden and Harris were out there. Um, I'm just going to not even lead into it because you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> Here's Joe Biden with his take on what's going to happen if uh, things heat up. Oh. Germany, if, uh, if Russia invades, uh, that means tanks or troops crossing the, uh, the, the border of Ukraine again. Then uh, there, will be, uh, we, there will be no longer... North Stream too. We we will bring an end to it. But how will you how will you do that? Ready for this, Noah? Exactly. Since the project and control of the project is within Germany's control. We will. Uh, I promise you, we'll be able to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Diplomacy at its finest, right there. <laughs> Oh my God! Imagine Trump saying that. Didn't you hear what I said? They would just—they would be unhinged. It would just be like media foaming at the mouth that this guy's an idiot. I mean it. Unbelievable! I told you I mean it. I promise. I promise. Well, Kamal Harris did one better. Let's hear hers. Very particular set of skills. No, he doesn't. (laughs) Yeah, shitting in his pants. Yeah. Ouch. She walked away from reporters when asked on questions. Oh, she just bailed? She yeah. Not even a cackle? Courtesy cackle? She gave the uh, pageant wave. God. No. Elbow, elbow, wrist, wrist. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I don't know who's worse, her or Biden. You gotta at least get a courtesy cackle. She, she knows oh, yeah. better, you know? She's not, she's not riddled in the brain. I mean, with dementia. But maybe other things, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, it's like we've been saying for for quite a few shows now. The people who are supposed to be at the the absolute core of negotiating any kind of a de escalation, if there is one between these two countries right now, are essentially the the uh, people in our government and other outlying agencies who came up with two of the biggest 
fake scandals in U.S. history over the course of the last six years. So between the perfect phone call and Russiagate, and I don't know how any of those guys after it's getting out there daily. We all know who the major players are. It's Jake Sullivan. He he needs to be, you know, definitely involved in this. Joe Biden was part of the, you know, Obama administration that was handing it off to Trump. That all the stuff was going on there, and then all the people in the administrative state who have, who have gummed up the the first Trump presidency are, are supposed to be the people that are sitting across from the negotiating table saying like, Hey, you guys better fucking stop. And they're like, us, Dude, oh, fuck <laughs> you guys. I mean, that's probably the only thing that Russia and Ukraine agree on right now is, uh, right. fuck all these guys trying to tell them to calm down. And, um, you know, I, th- I think as we, uh, are going to continue to, move towards whatever the final disposition in this is going to be. I hope it doesn't heat up, you know, for all our servicemen and women who are under uh, current leadership in in our government, all the way from like the intelligence agencies that would have boots on the ground into, in addition to the actual troops who would have boots on the ground as well in places like Poland and, and and some of our allies in the region. And, you know, it's, it's like some people have speculated. All we have to do as a nation is come out and say, Ukraine is not going to be a part of NATO. I mean, yeah. the, for for as much as their sovereignty is being infringed on right now by Russia, which I think is completely awful and shouldn't happen, um, they are one of the most corrupt nations since its inception. Well, that's Biden land, you know, yeah. basically. So um, I don't know. I mean, we think it's bad what Russia has done, but do we really know the truth? Because like you, if you talk to a lot of Ukrainians over there, they they believe they're a part of Russia. They're like the majority of people there, I believe, are Russian, aren't they? Yeah. So, and I mean, it, I, they, I don't think they'd mind if 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 Putin came in and cleaned up their swamp. To be fair, right, and, and that's a that's a huge, uh, you know, factor that you have to take into account. I mean, the black market runs rampant. Uh, throughout the Ukraine, you have all the corruption with the elements of the mafia, both from the Ukraine and, and Russia running rampant in that country. In addition to, you know, their, their natural gas and um, oil pipelines, and they're a huge um, producer of iron for the world as well. And when, when you're an unestablished country, really, I mean, I think 1991 is when they claim their independence. And yeah. you're just getting your footing on the ground and everybody's coming and saying they want to buy stuff from you. It, it usually comes at the expense of being at the worst way possible. It's not like they're an industrialized, like, you know, first world nations by any mean. So as we're getting ready to uh, segue right now to our big interview with Dr. Zelenko, uh, as his audio loads, we're just going to have to uh, keep an eye on it and see what happens. All right. Coming in with us now on this Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast. He is a doctor who is... uh, through alternative treatments and therapeutics, led the way in combating the overall mainstream COVID narrative and has saved so many lives in the process of doing so. It's an honor to have on the show today. Dr. Zelenko, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's really our pleasure, sir. We want to, uh, first of all, ask how you're doing, how's everything going with you, uh, you know, treating people and uh, keeping everybody healthy right now? Um, it's a race against time. Uh, helping people see the true narrative versus the evil people trying to uh, enslave everyone. So um, the reason I do these interviews is I'd like to share with people the, a different perspective on, than CNN and uh, the mainstream media would give you. Yeah, it's certainly a, uh, 
an excellent way to put it. And, and the things that you've done have really saved probably countless lives. If not just by you directly, then it's the proxy of people that you've treated going and, uh, you know, expressing the, the, the alternatives that are there. And, uh, I mean, you know, we all had COVID here and, and we used a lot of the, uh, things that you said will, will help combat it. And here we are still alive and, uh, feeling great. So, I want to get started, and uh, you know, you talked about the mainstream media and, and and the people in regards to that. Combined, combined with things in the legacy media and, and and how Dr. Fauci has been able to spin this narrative around his finger, how do you think that this got out of control to the point to where we're at right now? Uh, it didn't really get out of control. This, this was always the um, intention. Um, see, there's nothing natural about what's what what's going on. You know. I'm asking your listeners not to believe a word I'm saying, but rather um, I'm going to give you specific information and they can do their own due diligence, come to their own conclusions. Um, don't believe what I'm saying on blind faith, because that's what you did with the government. And blind faith belongs to God and not to any human being. Mm-hmm. So with that said, COVID-19, uh, we have 20 years of patent evidence and uh, academic peer-reviewed papers that it was uh, manufactured artificially in, in a laboratory, uh, mostly paid by the National Institute of Health. And, and the doctor responsible for it was Dr. Ralph Barrick, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And they were able to manipulate a, a benign bat virus, um, change its uh, lethality uh, to human lung tissue. And then they figured out a, a way to have that virus uh, infect human beings. So it was a it was a bioweapon that was designed over 20 years. Um, and what's interesting is in 2010, Dr. Ralph Barrick published a paper which uh, was the antidote uh, to defuse this bomb. And that was the paper that I used to build my treatment protocol. I just didn't know it was from Ralph Barrick until two months ago. But uh, the concept of using zinc with zinc ionophores, which is a zinc delivery system, um, to inhibit RNA viral replication. And so the same guy that made the bomb also made a way to defuse the bomb. Mm. And what's interesting is when that information, when doctors like myself stumbled across this information and started using it and started to see how it works, uh, there was a choreographed um, attempt to suppress this information, uh, both by media, both by threatening doctors, uh, firing doctors, uh, bringing them, bringing us before disciplinary boards, basically deplatforming anyone who was uh, saying things that were contrary to the government's narrative. So I was, for, for example, I was thrown off of uh, Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and um, so it was all very puzzling that a treatment that was developed by the United States government, paid for by the NIH, which means you and me, uh, and in 2010 was intentionally being suppressed. And so in my, my understanding, the whole point of COVID-19 was to create global chaos and, and, and fear and isolation. And then use that type of, if you know anything about psychological warfare, uh, fear coupled with human isolation, 
leads a lot of people to get psychologically hurt. And when they're in that state, they're very easy to manipulate. And, and then it becomes easy to get them to do things that under normal circumstances they wouldn't do. And so, for example, in New South Wales, in Australia, any doctor that prescribes hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin, which also works, um, goes to jail for six months. Wow. And, and they tell you why. Because it encourages vaccine hesitancy. In other words, they're not denying it works. On the contrary, it works. But because people take it and get better, they're choosing to get treated and not take the vaccine. And so because of that, doctors are being sentenced to jail. And so it's always been about creating a crisis and then creating a, a psychological mechanism to which to convince uh, 7 billion people to get inoculated with something. Uh, we can discuss what that something is briefly, but uh, shortly, but it, so chaos is the tool of the enemy and, and anything that gave people hope that explains, by the way, why hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin were vilified because it gave people hope. It gave people a way to reintegrate into society and not be afraid of dying. So it was a weapon against their weapon of fear. Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense right there. And, uh, you know, you just touched on briefly what some of the things regarding the vaccine are. Why don't you get into that? A little bit and, and let our listening audience know from from your perspective uh what you feel that 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 is the uh what is the, the whole narrative behind the vaccine well you just have to look at what what it what it does what it's done and and just the the words of the people that are advocating for it so if you look at bill gates in 2015 uh he gave a ted lecture he said the biggest threat to the world is global warming and thus we need to reduce carbon emissions. And the only way to do that is to reduce the world population by 10 to 15% mm -hmm. through the use of vaccines. And then in 2020, the same Bill Gates said 7 billion people um, need to be vaccinated. So I'll just ask a rhetorical question. Why would I take a vaccine for my health from someone who's financed and, and is advocating for the reduction of the world population? That's uh, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, pretty scary when you lay it out there like that. You know, one of the things we were talking about before you joined us today was uh, there's a lot of people out there who may have gotten the vaccine for for a number of reasons. Uh, maybe not regarding health. Maybe it was due to the fact that they may lose their livelihood or out of fear, like you said, is 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 probably the centerpiece component of this whole thing. Um, for people that have already taken it. Are there any ways to reverse some of the things that it does, like, or what it's doing to the bodies right now? And, and, and what are some of the ways people who may have taken the vaccine can still continue to take care of themselves regarding some of the effects that they might be having from it? So first of all, don't take another shot. Um, now, what's interesting that Pfizer and Moderna were both uh, hacked and their files were leaked. And what we've learned is that not all lot numbers contained the same ingredients. And certain lot numbers were 5,000 times more lethal than others. So it's difficult to actually know what any one individual got. Um, 
Now, what you could do is, well, first you need to understand the risks. Um, within the first few months, it's a blood clots. So you can have strategies to reduce blood clots, like um, something called NAC and acetylcysteine that has anticoagulant properties, or even simple things like aspirin. If you're in the higher risk category, like you have a blood clot clotting tendency, you should speak to your doctor and take certain prescription drugs like Eliquis. Now, besides that, there is a grave concern of something called antibody-dependent enhancement, uh, which is basically that the antibodies that your body has produced in response to this vaccine are, are lethal. And what triggers them is another COVID infection that's similar enough that those antibodies recognize it. And they form a complex, which leads to uh, the death of the organism. This was seen um, in the 1960s with the RSV vaccines. Uh, it was seen in the 70s with the dengue fever uh, vaccines. Um, and actually was seen with all the coronavirus uh, vaccines that in, in animals, that uh, a majority of those animals died when they were challenged with the virus that they were immunized against. And so here I have a simple question. Wouldn't it be a good idea to exclude that possibility from the, from the human race before deploying this vaccine on the human race? Yeah. And it, was, and it wasn't done. No, it wasn't. And so the way to mitigate that risk is not to get another viral infection that could detonate the bomb. And the only way I, I could think of is to take um, antiviral prophylaxis or preventive medicine that will mitigate the risk of you getting another similar virus. And so that could be done with uh, prescription drugs, or but those are hard to get, you know, hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. Or it could be done with something called quercetin and zinc, or it could be done with something called EGCG, which is an extract of green tea. Now, what we did notice is that the antibodies do fade over time, which means that most likely the risk to you will fade over time. That's why they're pushing the, the booster so much. So if you're not going to take another shot and, uh, and you take preventive measures for the next two to three years, um, I, I think that um, you know, you'll escape most of the risk. That's, um, but that's not the only thing that these shots do. Um, there is a, a patent that was a um, United States patent that was issued August 31st. I have the patent, I'll show it to you, uh, that explains what's actually inside these vaccines. And, and they're it's 50 pages long of complex nanotechnology. And it basically describes uh, tech inside these vaccines that allows for the measurement of biometric data, which is basically your um, heart rate, breathing rate, and temperature. And more importantly, the transmission of that data with your location to a third party. Now, uh, people are going to call me conspiracy theorist. Usually these are the stupid people that can't read. Um, <laughs> I'm actually a conspiracy realist. And I, I've been challenging anyone for a year 
to take this patent, read through it, and then come and, you know, debate me uh, and see maybe my understanding is wrong. I don't know. And let's get to a deeper truth. But no one has taken me up on that offer. And so what I'm telling you is that there is a published patent describing technology that is essentially tracking technology. And what's interesting is in 2016, Klaus Schwab, the head of the World Economic Forum, yep. gave a very strange interview. And he said, we have the interview. He said that within 10 years, by 2026, every single individual will on the planet, 7 billion people, will be tagged with a digital identifier. And so, first of all, for what purpose? No one understood. And also, how do you get 7 billion people to willingly get tagged with a digital identifier? Right. Well, how about you create an artificial crisis, scare the hell out of the planet, and then inject to them uh, on the false pretenses that very technology? Okay, now there's another patent that you need to know. It's a Microsoft patent from 2020. Um, I actually remember the number by heart. It's a WO 2020-060606. You can't make this stuff up. Mm. And, and this patent describes the linkage of biometric data transmission to the use of cryptocurrency. Mm. Oh. Now, now, there's a few more puzzle pieces you need to know. If you look at the agenda of the World Economic Forum on their website, mm -hmm. which is also the United UN agenda, uh, the, one of the first things they say is that America will no longer be dominant and a few global uh, powers will govern the world. That's their stated agenda. And there's another two facts you need to know. This is from the Congressional um, uh, Budget Office that by 2026, uh, Medicare will become insolvent, will begin to go bankrupt. And in 2034, Social Security will begin to go bankrupt. Now, 2026, didn't I hear that year before? Oh yes, that's when Klaus Schwab said that by 2026, every single human being will be tagged with a digital identifier, um, which measures your biometric data which also uh, could be used uh, in, the, in the, well, to participate in the cryptocurrency-based system. Now, we need to understand really what's going on. Uh, what do you think is gonna happen to the United States economy and to the world economies, because everything is interrelated, when Medicare begins to go bankrupt? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Collapse. Okay, it's not a good thing. Mm -hmm. It's gonna become, very turbulent, very unstable. Markets are going to go crazy. No one's going to know what's going on. It's going to be absolute chaos. Now, look at China. Um, China's central bank, which is run by the CCP, issued a digital cryptocurrency called the digital yuan. Yep. Right after that, they banned all other cryptocurrencies. And right after that, they linked the Chinese social credit system to the use of cryptocurrency. So in other words, if they don't like what you say, they don't need to put you in a gulag or put a bullet in your head. They just turn off your ability to transact, to buy bread for your family. Yep. So it's a control, it's a control mechanism. Mm -hmm. Now, if 
if you scale that globally, that um, there will be great chaos, economic, um, existing economic systems are gonna collapse. There'll be no more fiat currency. And forget about Apple Pay and credit cards. What, what's gonna be left standing is a one, a global currency, cryptocurrency, that is managed by a few global powers. Um, and in order to participate in that global system, you will need to be a transmitter of biometric data. In other words, you'll have a scanner at home, you'll scan your hand and bread will arrive by drone or something. <laughs> um, but the problem with that is that what if I don't want to be inoculated with a digital tagging device? Well, then I'll be excluded from that system. And if that's the only system uh, to how I can do transactions, then what am I going to do? Um, obviously, there'll be a black market and there are people actively working on creating alternate uh, decentralized blockchain oriented cryptocurrencies that will allow us to uh, transact amongst ourselves. I mean, we are working on those measures, but uh, but the reality is a majority of people um, will have already bought into this um, form of slavery. And so what, what do you think is going to happen to someone if they say things that are against the government? It's the same up. thing. Yeah. They're going to basically yeah. uh, restrict or limit or cut off your ability to buy stuff, to transact. And there'll be no other form. So what this really is, and the Christian faith would uh, call this the mark of the beast. And so it's it's a it's a movement towards global enslavement under the control of a few um, sociopaths, few government. And th this is this is obvious to anyone who understands the dynamics of going on. Yep. Listen. Otherwise, what would be the rationale to take a six-month-old? that according to the CDC has a hundred percent chance of recovery from COVID with no treatment and inoculate them with a, with this vaccine. There is one. Um, the, there's no medical rationale. The only rationale is that that's a future slaves. Right. Yep. Yeah. Get it in them before they have the choice to say they don't want it. You, you make it sterile. Yeah, I was looking for a way to ask you this question, Dr. Zenko, but you've kind of framed it so nicely for me. We've had, you know, we're, we're a political show mainly. We, we do do some, you know, we've had some doctors on and, and do some health-oriented stuff, which is extremely important to our listenership. But, uh, you know, we try to promote those America First agendas and, and what's directly uh, contrasted on what's going on in Washington, D.C. right now. We've had several guests on our show who said that uh, they, they've received an endorsement from you in the 2022 midterm elections uh, coming up. And I just want to know, I mean, you know, there's a big stake in this game with, with getting this country back on the right track and combating a lot of the things that globally are going on right now behind the scenes to eventually make, you know, the United States a, a non-factor in, in, in geopolitics and stuff like that. When you go out and look to endorse some of these candidates, what are the things that you're looking for that, that you want to see them take to, to Washington, D.C. to hold some of these people accountable for what they've done to feed into this narrative maybe for the last couple of years? So the only candidate that I officially endorsed was uh, Jason Nelson. He was on last was, week with us. Uh, from um, He's running in Waco uh, District 
uh, Texas dis- District 7, 17, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why I endorsed him um, was actually not only that he embodies the values that I do. Um, he's very uh, conservative. He believes in Judeo-Christian values. He's family-oriented. Um, he's served this country in, mm-hmm. with distinction. He was wounded in battle. Um, and But there was a personal reason I endorsed him. Um, and that was, um, I, ha- I have a very rare and dangerous form of cancer, which I've been fighting the last four years. And part of the what I needed to do was to go to Europe for two months uh, to receive specialized immunotherapy. And I was talking to Jason because we became friends uh, a long time before that. And I said, listen, I'm really worried about my family because, you know, if something goes crazy, which could happen. I'm going to be, a, you know, in Europe. Uh, I'm, I really don't have anyone to protect them. So he said to me, Zeb, I give you my, my word that me and my buddies are going to come down to wherever your family is and shield them and bring them to safety. And the way he said it um, was so sincere that I said to myself, oh, my God, you know, this is a not only is a real friend, but if, if you have someone with that type of uh, mentality, you know, in the Bible, it says that God chose Moses to be a leader because he saw how he tended to one little sheep who was hurt. And that's kind of the sense I got, you know, that he cared enough to just uh, care about my family. Imagine how he would care about the nation. And so um, that was kind of the uh, the feeling I had. I, I haven't really, I'm not, I haven't been politically active so much, although this COVID uh, crisis has brought me into sure. politics. Um, but I just think he's, he's a, you know, he just got General Flynn's endorsement. He did. Yeah. Did yeah. yeah. And I, I, so I think that he could win. I think that he, I'm actually his, uh, he appointed me his health and human services advisor and he's uh, willing to um, make a national debate about certain common sense principles like early treatment, uh, treatment with gen- uh, generic uh, safe drugs, um, you know, that, uh, that work, oral drugs. Uh, by the way, interestingly, the CDC yesterday changed its recommendations that anyone with COVID should start treatment within the first few days of symptoms. Mm. Wow. We've been saying that for how long? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I, I, in part is because he's made it a, a, a national debate. He's bringing it up all the time. And um, so that, those are kind of, and I just like him. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think he's a really good guy. Nice. Yeah, he seems like a great guy. We had Jason on with us last Tuesday and he spoke extremely highly of you. Didn't give us any insight into that very personal story that you just let our listenership in on. And, uh, you know, now that you can kind of connect the dots on that, it's, it's really awesome to see you get behind him. Yeah. I mean, I'm very loyal. I'm grateful. And, I think that um, this country needs to move in a away from Saddam and Gomorrah. Yeah. You know, those two cities in the Bible were destroyed for a reason. It wasn't because of immorality, because actually the whole world was immoral. They were destroyed for another reason. 
that they codified immorality into the law of the land. And that's exactly what I see happening um, in this country. You know, if it, if it, if it was up to the demented puppet in the White House, <laughs> um, they would, uh, you know, make it that my four-year-old daughter would be sharing a bathroom with a 30-year-old man who thinks he's a woman. 100%. I mean, yeah, they, they desecrate marriage. They desecrate uh, God-given gender roles. Uh, they prop- promote the slaughter of the unborn, uh, normalize debauchery. I mean, how do, you know, this country is in God we trust. How, how, how do we keep the divine blessing shielding this country? Well, it's not to promote transvestites to go and read books to six-year-olds. Right. Oh, we 100% agree with you on that. The, uh, the American family model has been under heavy scrutiny attack for decades and it, it, it comes closer to being destroyed every day. And it's, it's people like us that are all holding line out there promoting, you know, traditional family values and the importance of, of God-centered lives, I think, that uh, may continue to reawaken people and, and, and bring them back towards, uh, you know, where the good's at. I have a quick question for you, Doc. Uh, so we've already, <clears throat> excuse me, we've already touched on, you know, basically we're, we're thinking the ulterior motives, n- nefarious motives for, for the vaccination. Um, but one of the things that they say about the mRNA vaccines is that they're, quote-unquote, flexible. So would that be speaking about like updates with these boosters that are moving along with like, say the flu vaccine, the flu vaccine is based on what they think that the new mutation or variant of the flu is going to be for that next year. So as these uh, current vaccines become less effective, is it the adjustment or the boosters that are changing how that vaccine is, is uh, affecting the body? Or would it be more so that they're inserting just an ent- entirely different uh, recipe, I guess you would say? No. Technology. So uh, this brings me to the really the ultimate point of what these vaccines could really do. If you listen to the degenerates, the pagans, Klaus Schwab and Bill Gates, they are on record saying that these vaccines change who you are. Right. Now, what does that mean? They actually explain it to you that through gene editing, they could change who you are and make uh, uh, cause a kind of a evolution of humanity to with intelligent design, human intelligent design, to uh, a more evolved state. In other words, the, the, the first version, human 1.0, you know, the God version, because, you know, we, we are made in the image of God. Right. So what does that mean? Where, where would the image of God be in a human being? Well, it's imprinted in the genetic code, in your g- unique genetic code. Now, I wouldn't give Bill Gates access to my, to my email. <laughs> Why the hell would I give him access to my genetic code? But that's, so there is something called CRISPR-Cas9 technology. Um, Most people don't know what it is, but if you look into it, um, what it is is the ability to cut and paste, to slice out, to choose a fragment of genetic code and slice out 
that fragment and then splice in anything I want. I can splice in the code of a horse or I can splice in a code that uh, will impart into you certain characteristics that I want you to have or qualities. Um, And it turns out that mRNA has been used as a platform for the delivery of CRISPR-Cas9 technology. They're already doing this in China, aren't they? They have been for a few years now, at least, with the CRISPR-Cas9. Well, CRISPR-Cas9 technology has been around for uh, you know a decade or so. Um, it was originally marketed as a, as a way to treat genetic diseases. Let's say someone has a Huntington's disease. It's a terminal disease. But if we can go in and splice out that sick gene and replace it, with a healthy gene, then essentially you've cured that person. Mm-hmm. So, of course, it could be used for good. Right. But um, history has proven itself that uh, what could be used for good is also going to be used for evil. Mm-hmm. And these degenerates have figured out a way to hack into the human genome and modify um, humanity itself. So, I'm going to say a very controversial statement. And I'm sorry if it offends people, but this is the way I see it, that anyone who's been vaccinated is no longer a human being. I agree. Or or they're no longer the human 1.0 version, right? the God version. You're the human 2.0 version, which, so now you're not made in the image of God, you're made in the image of Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab, whatever that means. And so, Please don't take any more of these death shots. Um, since not every vial had the same stuff, that's something that, like we found. Uh, I think I mentioned that. Uh, you know, when FDA approves something, isn't it the uh, common the sense that you be uniform, like yeah. everyone gets the same thing? Exactly. Well, and coming uh, if you look- coming from a pharmaceutical company, like their production methods, there should be no variation whatsoever with what you're getting. Right. Well, if you look at the uh, different lot numbers and there are lot numbers that are uh, highly lethal mm-hmm. and you look at the demographics of how that those lethal so the bad uh, in different parts of the country, right? In different- right. But if you look at the first 20 states, uh, that the, the, the 20 states have got those uh, lethal lots, 15 out of those 20 were red states. Mm. Wow. Weird. Imagine that. Yeah. Full on war. Dr. Zelenko, so, go ahead. No, so I, I think that um, these vaccines have absolutely nothing to do with your health. Uh, if someone still believes that, that uh, I can't help you. Uh, nothing will. Uh, yeah, I could take you to a morgue and rub your face on the corpses of the people that died from the vaccines and you still wouldn't believe it. So mm-hmm. those people are hopeless. What, what is possible is that people that are on the fence uh, understand that, first of all, there's no reason to be afraid of COVID-19. We have very effective treatments that will virtually eliminate the risk of death, even in the high-risk patients. If you follow simple protocols, treat early, treat with a combination of antiviral, anti-inflammatory drugs, even over the counter, um, 
and and that's it and and you'll be fine but do not give in and sub- submit to the coercion and the tyranny see what's really happening is like this most people took it because they don't want to lose their job they want to travel they don't want to get expelled from school and what what they're really doing is they're choosing the present at the cost of their future yes exactly whereas um i strongly suggest that you sacrifice in the present so that you will have a future excellent yeah. point well said dr zelenko the last thing i want to touch on before we let you go we know you're extremely busy can you let our listening audience in uh just a little bit about the uh, zsax formula system that you have going on right now because we want to be able to direct as much traffic as we can to support you for everyone that's uh you know interested in hearing about it well, ZSAC was a gift from God mm-hmm. because when I was using hydroxychloroquine, um, azithromycin, and zinc in New York in, in March of 2020, uh, the ghoul ex-governor Cuomo, and I call him that because he killed 20,000 nursing home residents, yeah. uh, issued an executive order blocking pharmacies from dispensing hydroxychloroquine. So that was a direct attack on my practice and me. Why do I say that? Because I was the only one in the state doing it. Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't understand why a life-saving medication uh, that's been around for 65 years, FDA approved for other things, um, and I'm legally allowed to use it off-label, why is access to it being blocked? And, th- and then what happened is my patients started dying again. Imagine, I, I, had, uh, I had something that was working. It really prevented people from going to the hospital. Now I couldn't get it, and people were dying again. Um, it's a terrible feeling. I mean, actually, it brought me into a rage. And so I was doing uh, more research. You know, there's a saying, you don't go to war with the army you wish you had. Right. You go to war with the army you do have. So I needed the final alternative. And on the NIH server of all places, I discovered something called quercetin, uh, peer-reviewed papers about quercetin. I... I it's effective in getting zinc into the cell. But I I didn't even know what it was. So I Google it and I see that it's a derivative of onions and apple peels, but more importantly, that it's over the counter. And I leaned back and I said, God, I just found the cure to tyranny. Because I could tell my patient, go to the vitamin shop, forget about prescriptions and government permission, go to the vitamin shop, get quercetin, vitamin C, vitamin D, and zinc in the right amounts, and, and you'll be okay. And so what happened, and I open-sourced all that information. I spammed the internet. with. I wasn't looking to monetize anything. I was just trying to spread that information. So it helped some people, but the majority of people came back to me and said, well, we're having trouble finding everything in one place. And even when we do, there's so many options that we just can't put the puzzle together. And more importantly, they were missing that crucial window of treatment. Right. The, those first first few days. So I, I was asked to make it easier for people. Um, so what I did was I just put all the stuff in one pill. Um, you know, I made sure that it's at the highest standards of of uh, I'm putting my name on it, so it's my reputation. <laughs> and um, and I made it available. So now people could have it even before they get sick. Or if they need it, they can get it within a day or two. And so that solved the problem 
of getting people the right um, medications or supplements uh, in the right dosing in the right time frame. So that's how ZStack was born. It was born out of necessity. Um, by the way, you know the FDA won't let me say anything except that uh, uh, it's a nutritional supplement and an immune booster. Mm-hmm. But what I will say is it contains quercetin and vitamin C that according to peer-reviewed um, papers on the NIH functions as an effective zinc ionophore, it will basically get zinc into the cell. Right. Um, and it has zinc, which according to peer-reviewed papers on the NIH inhibits RNA-dependent RNA polymerase, which is an enzyme necessary for the virus to replicate. It has vitamin D3, which has been shown in on the NIH uh, peer-reviewed papers, dozens of them, that people that have high normal levels of vitamin D stay out of the ICU. Basically, if you take a survey of uh, the country's intensive care unit patients, uh, like most of them or all of them are D deficient. And so having uh, optimizing your vitamin D uh, upregulates your immune system so you don't get that sick. It actually, you overcome illnesses, not only COVID, I mean, in general, you overcome, it's a general health immune system thing. So those are the four ingredients so it's a nutritional supplement and immune booster. Got my vitamin D right here. Nice. <laughs> with K2. I have to get you some Z-Stack. Dr. Zlinko, this has been awesome. Finally sitting down with you today and just getting to hear everything that, that you've been going on, you know, with, with your with your practice, with, with some of the struggles that you've had to go through and in, in, in trying to get out just a sensible uh, reasoning behind this stuff and, and being push, pushed back on so hard by the powers of B, you've outlined them all very distinctly and we're appreciative of that. And, and uh, you know, at some point down the road, we'd love to have you back. But uh, for our listening audience who want to find out more about everything and, and more importantly, more about you and what you have to say, where can they find you anywhere since you've been already removed from social medias? Um, I'm on Telegram I'm at Zelenko Protocol. Um, and I have a educational website uh, called uh, Vladimir Zelenko MD.com. It's my name, Vladimir Zelenko MD.com. And that, that website has a ton of information, both for the layperson and for medical professionals. I, I bring all the papers and, and um, everything you would need, the videos and that, uh, to learn about uh, how to properly manage this. Um, so those are the two main main sites. We will live link them in our show description today, sir. And uh, like I said, at some point in the future, we'd love to have you back. Be my biggest pleasure. Nice. We appreciate it, and we appreciate you. This is the man who has pushed back against the uh, mainstream COVID narrative and has done so with much success. Dr. Zlingo, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you. God bless you. Well, came as advertised. Yeah. And uh, awesome. he brought all the fire of... Uh, Calling out the globalists, a little bit of the Bible spin on it. Love and, it. And those alternative treatments and, and therapeutics, which are so essential to uh, combating the overall COVID narrative. I, I definitely enjoyed, you know, spending a little time with Dr. Zelenko there. And uh, like I said, I would, I would be more than happy to have him back as uh, things continue to develop. Yeah, everything we hear about this, it, it strengthens the idea that really the the only reason they were banning all these other treatments is because a they work and b because it would directly attack the emergency use authorization. Mm-hmm. Hey, I said at that time. Yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Good. I like it. Their whole their whole agenda, you know, the whole like um real reason behind their agenda would be you know 
completely destroyed yep. if they allowed it. But I don't think people realize how like Dr. Jelenko has saved, not like, you know, by his own hand, but like because of the information he's put out there, he's saved thousands and thousands of lives. Mm-hmm. It was you originally know? endorsed by Donald Trump for, for hydroxychloroquine, et cetera. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's pretty crazy, you know, what's going on right now and, and this whole narrative as it's continuing to spin. But I'm, I'm sure much to everybody's thankful ears, we've now made it through, I think, three episodes now without any... I'm still, I'm still talking about COVID. Get your booster. We had some Durham news break over the weekend. Not as hyped as I was going into the show today now that that Darren Beatty called it kind of a boomer narrative, but we're mm. still going to roll with it because at the end of the day, we'd love to see figuratively heads roll and literally people go to jail. But uh, I was watching uh, Newsmax over the weekend and saw Carl Higsby had big dick Rick Grinnell on. Oh, you forgot public hangings. Oh, there you go. Well, I wasn't going to take it that far. Thanks. <laughs> Department of Homeland Security. We're sorry. Uh, as the news was breaking from, from the Durham camp, let's hear them weigh in on it right now. Following new reports that the Clinton camp, I know all kinds of breaking news this week, uh, campaign paid to infiltrate Trump Tower, allegedly. Now, joining us now to discuss this is National, or sorry, Newsmax senior national security analyst, former mm. acting director of national intelligence and former U.S. ambassador to Germany, my buddy Rick Grinnell. All right, so uh, Rick, this is a big deal. Our reporters, you know, there's a lot of reports out there that are saying that John Durham is about to issue some serious uh, indictments over the fact that that Hillary Clinton paid to infiltrate Trump Tower and maybe potentially even the White House? What are you hearing on this? Well, it is the White House. Durham's filing makes it clear that this internet company, which internet company and the executive, uh, which we know exactly who this is, and they're linked to the Hillary Clinton campaign. He was paid by the Clinton campaign, continually paid by the Clinton campaign, was infiltrating the White House, the executive office of the president. They were spying not only on the campaign of Donald Trump, but Donald Trump as president. Now think about that. I believe that there is no possible way that you can be spying and monitoring uh, computers at the White House unless you have the help of the U.S. government. Mm. That is interesting, and I, I want to get to Ukraine in a sec, but I, like my mind is blown on this. You're telling me that, so you it think someone be. was inside the government working and giving information to a private tech spy firm on a sitting president of the United States based on political opposition? Well, no, it's a little different than that, Carl, because Durham has filed in court, okay, and in his filings, he makes it clear that this internet company mm-hmm. was spying on Donald Trump as president. That's crazy. Now, he makes that very clear. Yeah. This internet company can't break into the, the White House computers right. on their own. They had to have had help from inside the uh, U.S. government. And that wow. is my point. I think that there should be a inspector general immediate investigation uh, of the intelligence community-wide agencies to understand, did anyone know about this particular company spying on the president of the United States? Mm -hmm. And did they help in any way? I I wanna know exactly who in the U.S. government knew this 
and why they didn't speak out. So looks like that narrative that originally started as a pebble is kind of snowballed into an avalanche. Well, and if they were, if they had access to all that stuff, like they have access to the Department of Defense, they have access to everything. Without saying it, Rick Rennell basically outlined there were FBI, FBI agents dressed as internet provider servicemen <laughs> infiltrating the White House and, and, and allowing this proxy company on behalf of the Clinton campaign to spy actively at Trump Tower and then in the White House. Now you're starting to find out just who these anonymous sources were. Like somebody knocks on the door and like, I'm here to fix Dinah Cabral. <laughs> Well, even Cash Patel, I don't know if you have that clip or if you're going to play it, um, alluded to the fact that, you know, obviously somebody somebody in government and most likely intelligence. So it could be CIA, FBI. Mm -hmm. um, But we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, we're definitely going to have to wait and see what happens with that one. I'm glad you brought it up because that's one of the clips that I didn't include, which I what I did include was former senior Trump official John Ratcliffe weighed in over the weekend on a. This breaking news. Let's hear his take on it as a uh, former member of the intelligence community himself. Tell President Obama in the Oval Office in 2016. Well, he, he and I can talk about this because this part has been declassified. Um, he briefed President Obama and Vice President Biden and uh, other members of the national security team about this specific intelligence um, that John Durham now has. Uh, about a Hillary Clinton plan to uh, falsely accuse and vilify Donald, Donald Trump with a, a scandal uh, and the discussion uh, around that and, and whether or not uh, it was good intelligence. And so everything that that happened after that bill is is one of the reasons that John Durham is investigating. Bill Barr, John Durham and I all looking at this intelligence agreed that there was not a proper predicate to open a criminal investigation into the Trump campaign, yet that happened. So those are the issues that, that John Durham is looking at, you know, and I, uh, and I think there'll be many more. I, I would expect there to be quite a few more indictments uh, because of that. There was not a proper predicate to begin that investigation. Okay. John Durham has said that publicly already. Sir, thank you for your time. This will indeed continue. John Radcliffe. Now, I wanted to include that end of the statement from uh, John Radcliffe just so you could hear Bill Hemmer's voice. It kind of sounds like when you listen to a podcast at, up, at 2.0. Speed, yeah. Right. John Radcliffe does talk at, at, at 2.0, and, and Bill Hemmer was still set on standard one. So <laughs> he really wanted to get his point across in the fastest way possible. I think it was pretty funny. Um, so what do you guys think? This, this is kind of like a... You know, a, a ridiculous narrative now that's that's being okay. We, we always find something every show. Like six months ago, you were getting your accounts nuked for for saying that if you said literally that Hillary Clinton and her campaign spied on Donald Trump into the time when he was the president of the United States. Yeah, I mean, I think this is huge. I think this is the beginning of the end, and it's so much worse than what we initially thought as well. Um. I don't know. I think this is the start of, I mean, everything is connected, is connected to this and them, you know, from COVID to the elections to um, just the whole globalist agenda. I mean, this is going to take a lot of people down if there is justice that will, you know, be served. Yeah. Byron York, uh, who works for the Washington Examiner, was on a new show over the weekend, and I saw him kind of painting a little bit more non-flashy headline picture about it because it seemed like in the first two instances both Rick Grinnell and uh and John Radcliffe it was it was breaking news they were kind of probably called on their cell phones they were thrown in real quick and they were like oh my god I can't believe this they're, they're trying to not be so excited about it but you know here's yeah. a, here's a little bit more of a 
painting the picture of, of just what Durham released getting into the weekend. To, to read those tweets, uh, Hillary Clinton was desperate to prove that Donald Trump was somehow tied to Russia. And according to this John Durham filing, it was the Clinton campaign uh, that was actually spying on Trump and ultimately on the president of the United States. That's right. This was the last weeks of the 2016 campaign. The Clinton uh, campaign was getting uh, a little desperate at that point, but they had been trying for months to try to link the Trump campaign and Donald Trump himself and Russia. It began first with news around the DNC hack around the time of the Democratic Convention, and then it kept going. And in this case, uh, Jake Sullivan, who was then her uh, top advisor, was trying to sell the idea. It was called the Alpha Bank scandal, with the Alpha Bank being a Russian bank, and they alleged that there were a lot of uh, computer connections uh, between Alpha Bank and the Trump organization. Wasn't true, didn't come to anything, but the idea, here's what the idea was. The idea was to sell it to the FBI. Uh, and then they could tell reporters that the FBI was investigating something. It's not just us and the Clinton campaign saying this, it's the FBI that's investigating it. That would have given it more credibility with the press, and that was what the Clinton campaign was trying to pull off in the final weeks of the campaign. The worst part is that our intelligence community took the Clinton campaign's findings, which were either highly misleading or outright false, according to Durham's investigation, and ran with them. The FBI launched an investigation into Trump's campaign and congressional Democrats started their own investigation for the sole purpose of making Trump to be Trump out to be a Russian stooge. Yes. First of all, in in the final days of the campaign, they were trying again to connect Trump uh, and Russia. What's really striking in this Durham report is after the campaign is over, after Trump wins during the transition and then he becomes president, they're trying to do the same thing with the servers of the executive office of the president. That's absolutely extraordinary. And you remember in the first months of the Trump administration, the whole Russia allegation with the publication of the dossier was enormously damaging. Mm. It certainly was circling back to all those anonymous sources. Mm. Mm-hmm. Pretty scary to uh, to say the least, and um, you know as we as we're going to continue to uh, wrap our brains around this one, it's going to be interesting to see what direction uh, Durham goes down next. Um, I saw that Marsha Blackburn gave a take on it yesterday. They hit her up when she was coming out of uh, a committee hearing, and and she you know she's one of the people right now. There's there's a lot of rumors circulating that she's in the on the short list for vice presidential candidates uh, for a possible 2024 ticket with Donald Trump. I heard she's a top fiver. Don't necessarily hate it, but... Uh, mm, I don't know. I'm it, not feeling it. Yeah, it's one of those things at the end of the day, like it's, it's, it's great to go out and say all the right things, but what have you, you literally done? But she, she gives a pretty good take on Jake Sullivan and his whole role in this. Let's, let, let's kind of hear Marsha Blackburn weigh in. What we have to do is realize that the methodical nature that John Durham has taken through this, we know, as the other panelists have said, that he is pulling this together very carefully, and you know that he feels on solid footing as he has made these filings. And indeed, I agree with Jason 
Jake Sullivan and those involved with this should not be speaking on behalf of the United States until we find out exactly what has happened and if these actions, as alleged, actually did take place. Mm. He's what now? He's the DNI right now, Jake Sullivan, I believe. Yeah. And yep. uh, yeah, so the, the current, well, the former Susan Rice staffer and current director of national intelligence may have been the key figure in connecting the plug that wanted to know what was going on inside the white house to create these fake narratives, which eventually read to, to the Russiagate scandal and the outlet in the oval office that, you know, figuratively it would have been plugged into. One person who I want to know is uh, going to be offering up their condolences is that, well, I'll, I'll take a phrase from Dr. Zelenko, ghoul mm -hmm. from 60 Minutes. I'm sure we could all remember that, uh, I guess you would not call it the perfect interview, but the back and forth that Donald Trump and her had about two years ago. Remember this? The biggest scandal was when they spied on my campaign. They spied on my well, campaign, There's Leslie. no real evidence of that. Of How dare you? It's all over the place. <laughs> Leslie, Sir, they spied on my Leslie. campaign and they can got I, caught. Can I say something? No. You know, this is 60 Minutes. How dare you? And we can't put on things we can't no, verify. You won't put it on oh. because it's bad for Biden. We can't Look, put on you. things we can't verify. Leslie, they spied and on my campaign. Well, we can't verify It's been totally that. verified. Leslie. It's been, just go down and get the papers. They the spied papers. on my campaign. They got caught. No. And then they went much further than that, and they got caught. And you will see that, Leslie. And you know that, but you just don't want to no. put it on the air. As a matter of fact, I don't know that. Okay. Mm. So the big oh. Embarrassing. Right? She should just hang it up and just disappear. It's, hide under a rock. It's just oh, amazing when no, they do that. No, you you have the president of the United States or former former um, telling you, and he's listen. He's never been wrong. He's been proven right with everything he's said, and she's sitting there saying no, no. I mean, what kind of journalist? Well, how about all the stuff that they go out and just transmit as fact when there's no basis exactly. for it? Exactly. We're sixty minutes. Really? They are 60 minutes. <laughs> well, you can only imagine that someone in the White House press pool was going to uh, ask Karine Jean-Pierre. <laughs> Thank you. About these uh, developments that came out over the weekend that everybody probably forgot about by Monday because of the Super Bowl mm. in the satanic ritual known as the halftime show. Yeah, I didn't even watch it. Featuring a kneeling Eminem, nor did I. Uh what a stupid son of a bitch. She might be. Let's let's see her how she probably got to the bottom of uh, the Durham investigation with these questions. News about the uh, Durham investigation. Um, does the president have any concerns about a candidate for president uh, using computer experts to infiltrate computer systems um, of competing candidates or even the president-elect to use for the goal of creating a narrative? Is that something that... That's something I can't speak to from this podium, so I, I refer you to the Department of Justice. Is, is what was described in that report monitoring internet traffic, is, is that spying? Again, I can't speak to that report. You, I, I refer you to the Department of Justice. Generally speaking, yeah, with monitoring internet traffic, I, I refer you to the Department of Justice. She's like, bitch, maybe you didn't hear me the first two times. Department <laughs> of Justice. Did you, did you hear me when I said, I refer you to that? I wish that other person that was in the room for the first questions when the Pentagon official was talking, Department of Justice says they don't know. Yeah, that no. was amazing. 
Oh man. So yeah, that's kind of where we're at. And I saw Tucker last night. He he had a he's tracking this thing, but he he used a little bit of different kind of spin on it because at the end of the day, number one is going to be Hillary Clinton. Will it always will it go all the way up to Obama, or can they make Hillary the fall person? Is is an excellent question. But you know, Obama's been so much of an untouchable for everything that he's ever done. Um, well, if they're thinking about really propping her up to run, they have to think that this is going to go nowhere. Exactly. You know, if you just look at it on paper, especially with the stuff that goes to surveilling possibly the Oval Office and, and other Trump administration officials once he was the president, this makes Watergate look like garbage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, 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 you know, you guys are really going to have to go out and take a look at what Watergate really was, what was going on, and that whole narrative because... Joke. Yeah, for the stuff that they went after Nixon for, this doesn't even yeah, it doesn't come, come close. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where we just have to keep in mind, you know, what we're working with, who we're working up against. And when I say who we're working up against, it's the uh, legacy media who who did a, uh, in our last clip of the day, I found a uh, montage of just how well that over the years Russiagate's been covered. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure you guys will, will all appreciate this. It's completely wrong. It did not. It did not happen. This was. There was no spying. There was. It's Pizzagate. The conspiracy gene. The conspiracy gene is no more accurate than Pizzagate. Mm-hmm. No one was spying on the president through the microwave. No one spied on the Trump campaign. There was no spying. There was no spying. No spying. There was 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 no spying. Wow. By the way, there was no spying, of course. There was no spying. There was no spying on the Trump campaign. On the Trump campaign. It's been a year and a half. There, there was, was no, no spying, spying on the Trump, Trump campaign. Of this crap. No, no spying, spying on, on the Trump, Trump campaign. campaign. Which is a conspiracy theory. No spying, spying on the Trump, Trump campaign. campaign. Facts matter. And, oh, by the way, no, there was no... There th- was no, no... No... No spying on the Trump campaign. That is the garbage that you are fed on a nightly basis if you continue to participate. Guard media. And that's just the, the same, media. if we say it enough times, it becomes true to the general public. Yep. And now, there's going to be people that, they've heard that so many times, their team said it, it's what they want to be true. They're going right. to completely, you know, just like Zelenko said, I'm going to take you to the morgue and rub your face on the dead body, you're still not going to believe me. <laughs> It's true like, though. It's fucking crazy at this point. Like, like you said, that like the people that are on the fence are the ones, you know, kind of to focus on, you know, if we're gonna try to, you know, wake people up at this point. But it's yeah, it's wild when you really look at it when like I've had like a few interactions with people that are like still stuck in 2016 and I and I can't believe it at times. I'm like, what is like you, you're you've been like frozen yeah. in time. They say something, and you're like, "Wait, what?" Like, like you no, really? Way, we're way past that. Like, yeah, that's that was like a while ago. Yeah, and it's one of those things, you know. As it continues to unfold, we'll be bringing you all the information on it, and uh, you know, hopefully, 
Darren Beatty's a little wrong, and it's not just a boomer narrative. And we do see some people. I wouldn't mind seeing Jake Sullivan in the uh, extra small handcuffs. Ooh. Because he's a little pencil neck geek anyways. We've done it again. Phenomenal show. A citizen of the soy globalist regime. Yes, who we're fighting. <laughs> and they definitely don't listen to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. We can be found across all downloadable podcasting platforms. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Podbean, Google Podcast, FM Player, and now iHeartRadio. Subscribe to the show and rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds of the week, of course, all of our wonderful guests today. Fantastic journalists from uh, Revolver News, Darren Beatty, Dr. Zelenko, and our America First candidates who are in for interviews today. Roland Lopez looking to represent Texas 38. And Jim Bognett, who's looking to represent Pennsylvania 8 in the 2022 midterms. In addition to all of our internet friends, Tagbro88, Patriotic Baby Counts, Mr. Garbaggio himself, Kyle Becker of Kyle Becker News, John Bachman, Newsmax, had a couple uh, meme shares with him this week. Mike Crispy of Right Side Broadcasting Network, Christina Bob of OAN, and Tom Pappert, the editor-in-chief of The National File. Friends, don't forget to uh, get out there and throw some money at our partners. The only thing that you do by supporting them is help make small American businesses great again. My pillow. We've got sales greater than ever before. Sleepwear. Giza Dream Sheets, up to 60% off. My Pillow slippers, half off. My Pillows, down to the lowest prices since my Pillow's inception. Those towels are amazing. Yeah, they certainly are. Use promo code STAKE at checkout for big, big savings. You can go to the website at uh, mypillow.com forward slash stake, or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative at 1 800 658 8045. The top tier of ear gear and the best headphones, etc., in the game can be found at odyssey.com. You can find them on Facebook. You can find them on Instagram. Go ahead and uh, get your ear game taken care of. Stay Ready Gear holsters. If you want a picture of uh, Dr. Zelenko, maybe, put on a piece of melted plastic that's shaped into a concealed carry holster, they'll do it for you. they got a new warehouse. They're getting orders out faster than ever before. You can find them on stayreadygear.com, Facebook and Instagram as well. Man rubs. At the end of the day, don't mistreat your meat. Use the simple equation that we use here on Steak for Breakfast. We bought it. We shake it. We rub it. We smoke it. We wait a little while. Pull it apart. Throw it in our mouths. Num, num, num. Manrubs.com. Facebook and Instagram. West Coast Survival Arms. Let Mike take care of all those firearm needs. In case you uh, need some extra ammo as well. Just kidding. You always need extra ammo. WestCoastSurvivalArms.com is the newly redesigned, easy-to-use website. You talk to them via Facebook Messenger or on the telephone, 619-870-6992. We love our first responders and song segues. And they love Mediocre Medic. They follow them on the Fire IG, and they order all of the gear from Mediocre Medic at MediocreMedic.com. And last but not least, the top tier. Patch department, COVID flag department, sticker department, dumpbox.us has you covered. Go throw some money at Mark. He's been doing it for over a decade. And uh, the Dumpbox products there are amazing. Home of the Zero Fucks Duck. You can find them at dumpbox.us on Facebook and Instagram as well. Upcoming shows. We'll be back on Friday. We're going to have the co-founder of the National Tea Party, Michael Johns. 
In addition to him, Marilee Staples looking to represent Georgia 6 will be joining us. Matt Brainerd will be circling back with Steak for Breakfast to talk midterm elections. And we'll have an exclusive interview with newly introduced New Jersey 3 candidate Ian Smith. On the 22nd of February, we'll be joined for the first time. You may know him from War Room on the, uh, I guess, Mothership Network. Boris Stepstein will be sitting down with us to talk midterms. We're going to have a reschedule with Tony Cowden, looking to represent New, or I'm sorry, North Carolina 4. Jules Gray, newly announced candidate, looking to represent Colorado 8. Gavin Wax, the president of the New York Young Republicans Club. Not going to mess it up this week. And looking to represent Minnesota 5, Shu Abdirahman. Nailed it. On the 25th of February, Michelle Fiore, self-proclaimed girl Trump candidate looking to uh, take the governorship over in Nevada will be joining us, as well as Jackson Lehmeyer, running for the Oklahoma Senate. On the 1st of March, Mike Collins, looking to represent Georgia 10, big-time America First candidate, may be joined by Robbie Starbuck looking to run in Tennessee 5, and Willie Montague, who's looking to uh, take the House seat there in Florida 10. The 4th of March will bring us Mark Ivano. He's uh, the president of Republicans for National Renewal. We're going to be talking midterms. J.R. Majewski running in Ohio 3. Cash Patel is going to circle back with us as well on that day. Caroline Serrano is going to be joining us running in, in Nevada 4 on the 8th of March. And on the 11th, senatorial candidate out of Arizona. They got some good senatorial candidates out of there between Kelly Townsend will be joining us on the 11th and Blake Masters. And Christina Bob will be joining us to do the news. Friends of the week, some of our great friends, all the friends from the uh, Friends Group Meme Share. There's like 40 of you in there, but we collaborated on a few things this week. I love all you guys. All our friends from Discord, all our friends from Instagram and Twitter, in addition to some of the regulars, Sublime and Slime, the Duke of Memes, Tyler Timeloid, Grand Old Memes, when I meme to say, Snack Thickelson. Puberto's 2.0 and Baby Cakes 2.0. Guys, thanks for remembering between now and next show. Do your own research. Darren Beatty stressed it. Dr. Zelenko stressed it. If you want to know more about these America First candidates, get out there and do some research on them and uh, find out which one's best identified with you and get behind them. Start a podcast. A couple more edits than the other day, today, but Noah looks extremely thrilled to bang him out real quick. Mm-hmm. There you go. And uh, most importantly, let's see what happens. This has been episode 108 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. And on behalf of the pod team, we'll all be back on Friday where we're going to have Michael Johns, Marilee Staples, Matt Brainerd, and Ian Smith joining us. On behalf of the squad, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Can you wake up, please? Yes. Antoinette? Hey, guys. See you Friday. Excellent job today, dear. Thanks for listening. Take care. end our Friday night show with some good news, something for you to savor like a Werther's butterscotch over the weekend. Here it is. Hillary Clinton set to speak at the New York Democratic Party convention next week. According to one source, her appearance is good because it will, quote, galvanize the party and, quote, keep her relevant. Whoa! If you thought Hillary Clinton was fun at 50, wait till you see her at almost 80.
All the mediocrity you remember so well, but an added layer of late life bitterness and creeping senility. So before we go tonight, we'd like to say this on the record with total sincerity. Please, Hillary Clinton, run. Not simply because we've covered it so many times before we could do it on autopilot, but because that will be hilarious and edifying in a hard-to-describe way. We'll be monitoring that speech next week. Don't miss it.